Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. What the heck is catechesis? Well, catechesis isn't just filling our brains with stuff. It's, it's about more uh, fully receiving the life of Christ inside of us. And, you know, so often when we learn things, we kind of learn how to open up our hearts more. We learn how to open up our minds more. We can learn how to open up the, the various dimensions of our life to receive that life of God. Today, it's kind of a, you know, I mean, normally we're thinking of theology when we're doing that, but also we want to explore everything that God created, and the world that he created is, is knowable. It's intelligible, and we're going to talk about that later on today, just a smidge, but the, we're going to use the philosophical reasoning to come to a better understanding of what God has created, the universe that he has made, the underpinnings of of existence itself. <laughs> uh, that's that's the goal of today. This is the goal of the whole episode, not the whole episode, the series here on philosophy. Um, but I think it's super relevant. I think it's relevant in a number of different ways. And, um, you know, each time, you know, I don't know if you need to know about Plato's Republic, but I think it's just kind of neat. And I think it's also kind of helpful to recognize that the ideas that continue to influence us today they have a background. There is a, a whole story behind it where we don't just think in a vacuum. We think based, based on a, a whole, you know, tradition of thought. You know, please God, our thinking processes are formed by, by Jesus Christ and the tradition that he has established. But even beyond that, he, our thinking processes definitely have, have influence today. You know, I think of... Uh, I mentioned Plato, his Republic, kind of an early form of communism, strange to say, but it kind of was. And, uh, you know, communism is still affecting our world, so we should not be clueless about that. It has roots, it has its its background. But also we believe in spiritual realities. And Plato was the first one to kind of really hone in on that. Uh, Not not exclusively, but majorly. Uh, Pythagoras was also kind of beginning to abstract beyond the physical worlds, but more with a greater focus on math and maybe even music to some degree. So these thoughts of the past continue to affect us, the, and, and we should be deeply desiring a love of wisdom. That's the meaning of philosophy. And for us Catholics, we have a, a special love of, of wisdom. Wisdom is, is this eternal pouring out of of understanding to the world and knowing how we relate to the world and knowing how to move forward in the world the world that god has created and so this is our this is our our love you know we talked about these pre-socratics uh, those who came before socrates and we'll talk about this a little bit later on they had the big question that they were hunting down what's at the base of existence socrates was a great person who embodied philosophy and he as he went around bothering people with his various questions trying to shoot down bad ideas you don't make friends if your goal in life is to shoot down people's bad ideas (laughs) it's good to do but uh if that's the only thing you're doing and if you don't really have tact well they're gonna hate you in socrates case they're gonna kill you poor guy we got into plato we got into aristotle some of their thoughts and thinking we're still going to touch on in the future today even and and 
just to give you an idea of kind of where we're aiming in this series here, this is going to be on metaphysics, the, the study of being itself. Uh, next time it will be a focus on causing, a cause and effect. And you'll be surprised to recognize how significant this is. And then these two are actually going to be, you know, they stand alone in their own goodness and in their own right. But they also give us a particular benefit in looking forward to the one that will follow that, which will be uh, a summary of various arguments for the existence of God, the existence of God. And then after that, we kind of want to know the world that he created, especially our role in, in the world of creation. So we want to look at the human being. And we're going to spend ample time looking at the human person from a philosophical perspective. That is to say, to understand humanity from the aid of of natural reason, not experimentation, not you know the anatomical feature, which is a deeper observation, um, but but just kind of thinking about some things that we don't often think about. I think it's very very important. All right, well let's just dive on in with prayer here. And oh, I'll give you a heads up here. As you probably noticed, as you were clicking the play button, this could be a little longer episode. I don't know for sure, but I'm suspecting it will be. But I, it does have deep material, but I think it can be explained in a fairly reasonable way. And so I want to just give a little extra time so that it is easier. <laughs> it is easier, you know. All right, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, Dearest eternal Son of God and blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for your community of love, your eternal outpouring of love into each other, uh, and then in time, your outpouring of love into us. We thank you so much, and we ask that you open up our minds and hearts so that we can benefit from this teaching here, that we may be wiser, and not just wiser, but even have that deeper love of wisdom, true philosophers. May we have our hearts and minds ready and primed today for whatever you bring us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a postscript, a little P.S., a little, by the way, I forgot to include something. I finished recording the episode, and I realized mm, it's really a long episode, tough to get. I don't really want to add anything more, but I feel like it would help the flow of everything. So I include a few initial comments here, even though I'm inserting it after the fact. There are three principles I want to begin with that I did not begin with originally, but here they are. The first principle is the principle of non-contradiction, which says that nothing can both be and not be at the same time in the same respect. The principle of non-contradiction says nothing can both be and not be at the same time in the same respect. So that's kind of like saying, I can't be sitting in this chair and sitting at my sofa at home. It's impossible. It's, it's contradictory. And there's just a principle of existence that things can't contradict <laughs> okay so i can't sit here and i can't sit there at the same time now i could do one i could sit here now and uh, sit at my sofa later on tonight that'd be okay but i can't do it at the same time 
Um, and we can't do things, or you know, we can't mean different. You know, there's some words that are the same, but they are different in their respect in the way that they are. So, for example, um, uh, I have a bank. I have a bank, and I don't have a bank. Well, what does that mean? Well, maybe you're someone who you got a little land and you got a little river that runs through it or a creek or something like that. Well, you have a bank of a river at your house. You have a bank. But you can also say you don't have a bank because you don't own, you know, First National Bank of little wherever. You know, it's not your bank. You don't own it. Someone else has that. You own the bank of a river. You don't own the bank with a bunch of cash in it. And so this is another example of... uh, highlighting a distinction on this Uh, nothing can be and not be at the same time in the same respect this statement that i just said cannot be true and not true in the same respect it can be true in this respect i do own a riverbank but it's not true in this respect i do own a money bank they're two different things so this is a simple simple principle really principle of non-contradiction you know you can't prove this you can't do well x plus y equals z therefore the principle of non-contradiction must be true it is just something that you have to intuit you know there's some of these these basic things that if you disagree with you're just a crazy person your life doesn't make sense the world won't make sense to you you will not be able to dialogue and discourse with people at all the second principle is the principle of sufficient reason the principle of sufficient reason this says that every being has sufficient reason for its existence either in itself or in another that is to say every being depends on another being or is self-sufficient so let me repeat it again principle of self of excuse me the principle of sufficient reason is that every being has a sufficient reason for its existence, either in itself or in another. So, for example, I don't have the sufficient reason for my own existence in myself. Why do I say that? Because my parents gave birth to me. And where do they come? Well, their parents gave birth to them, my grandparents, and all the way up back to the family line to the very first human beings. And where do they come from? We don't know the all the nuances of that. We do know that the church gives us the limit that the soul was infused into the human body by God. That was unique. So he is the sufficient reason for our soul. But the church allows a little wiggle room for different theories of how our body came to be. That's not the conversation here today. But the reality is everything has to have a sufficient reason in itself or another. My desk came from somewhere. My computer came from somewhere. The parts of my computer came from somewhere. The raw materials came from somewhere. Uh, You know, even in the earth where they're found, found, you know, the the gypsum or the gold or the whatever it is, you know, that came from somewhere. There were some geological processes and those geological processes were put into work when the earth was formed and the earth came from somewhere. We can theorize there was a big big bang. I don't know. But if there was a big bang, then we would also have to say, well, there must be a sufficient reason for the Big Bang. There, it must have come from somewhere. It was either self-sufficient, it either did it itself, it didn't depend on another, or it did. And we can generally look back and say, hey, look, the only thing that is really self-sufficient, the only thing that is its own cause is, is God. 
The third principle that I want to highlight as a little uh, intrusion of a, of a comment here is the principle of causality. This says that any being that does not contain the sufficient reason for its own existence within itself requires a cause. Requires a cause. So this is kind of what I've been saying. My parents caused me. My parents caused me. My grandparents caused my parents. This is what we call a cause. If something does not depend on itself in every sense, then there is a cause involved. There is a cause involved. You know, being can't come from non-being. You know, causes are just, we don't see effects in the world that just pop out of the blue without any causing. You know, life would be chaos. Life would be chaos. Like, all of a sudden the boogeyman existed because no one caused it, just because it, it popped into existence randomly. All of a sudden a unicorn prances by, not because the unicorn had parents, uh, that, and those parents had grandparents, Nope, 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 nope. You know, there has to be a real, actual cause. The next episode, we'll get into causality in more detail. Because it's actually going to make a big difference for us. Um, especially as we try to understand how we can how we can see God's presence in the world. And even come to a, a claim based on the observation of the world that God is real. And so we can we can look at the world and make some of these arguments for God's existence, but causality will be a key thing. So that's the next episode. So again, the principle of causality is any being that does not contain the sufficient reason for its own existence within itself requires a cause. You know, it's pretty basic, actually. If you can't cause yourself, then you got to have someone else cause you. <laughs> you are an effect unless you are not an effect. And if you're an effect, that means you have a cause. All right, and back to the normal episode. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. What the heck is catechesis? Well, catechesis isn't just filling our brains with stuff. It's, it's about more uh, fully receiving the life of Christ inside of us. And, you know, so often when we learn things, we kind of learn how to open up our hearts more. We learn how to open up our minds more. We can learn how to open up the, the various dimensions of our life to receive that life of God. Today, it's kind of a, you know, I mean, normally we're thinking of theology when we're doing that. But also, we want to explore everything that God created and... The world that he created is is knowable. It's intelligible. And we're going to talk about that later on today, just a smidge. But the, we're going to use the philosophical reasoning to come to a better understanding of what God has created. The universe that he has made, the underpinnings of, of existence itself. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the goal of today. This is the goal of the whole episode, not the whole episode, the series here on philosophy. Um, but I think it's super relevant. I think it's relevant in a number of different ways. And, um, you know, each time, you know, I don't know if you need to know about Plato's Republic, but I think it's just kind of neat. And I think it's also kind of helpful to recognize that the ideas that continue to influence us today, they have a background. There is a, a whole story behind it where we don't 
just think in a vacuum. We think based, based on a, a whole, you know, tradition of thought. You know, please God, our thinking processes are formed by, by Jesus Christ and the tradition that he has established. But even beyond that, he, our thinking processes definitely have, have influence today. You know, I think of, uh, I mentioned Plato, his Republic, kind of an early form of communism, strange to say, but it kind of was. And, uh, you know, communism is still affecting our world. So you know, we should not be clueless about that. It has roots. It has its, its background. But also we believe in spiritual realities. And Plato was the first one to kind of really hone in on that. Uh, not, not exclusively, but majorly. Uh, Pythagoras was also kind of beginning to abstract beyond the physical worlds, but more with a greater focus on math and maybe even music to some degree. So these thoughts of the past continue to affect us, the, and, and we should be deeply desiring a love of wisdom. That's the meaning of philosophy. And for us Catholics, we have a, a special love of, of wisdom. Wisdom is, is this eternal pouring out of, of understanding to the world and knowing how we relate to the world and knowing how to move forward in the world, the world that God has created. And so this is our, this is our, our love. You know, we talked about these pre-Socratics, uh, those who came before Socrates, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on. They had the big question that they were hunting down. What's at the base of existence? Socrates was a great person who embodied philosophy and he as he went around bothering people with his various questions trying to shoot down bad ideas you don't make friends if your goal in life is to shoot down people's bad ideas <laughs> it's good to do but uh if that's the only thing you're doing and if you don't really have tact well they're gonna hate you and in socrates case they're gonna kill you poor guy we got into Plato, we got into Aristotle some of their thoughts and thinking we're still going to touch on in the future today even and and just to give you an idea of kind of where we're aiming in this series here, this is going to be on metaphysics, the, the study of being itself. Uh, next time it will be a focus on causing, a cause and effect. And you'll be surprised to recognize how significant this is. And then these two are actually going to be, you know, they stand alone in their own goodness and in their own right. But they also give us a particular benefit in looking forward to the one that will follow that, which will be uh, a summary of various arguments for the existence of God, the existence of God. And then after that, we kind of want to know the world that he created, especially our role in, in the world of creation. So we want to look at the human being. And we're going to spend ample time looking at the human person from a philosophical perspective. That is to say, to understand humanity from the aid of of natural reason, not experimentation, not you know the anatomical feature, which is a deeper observation, um, but to just kind of thinking about some things that we don't often think about. I think it's very very important. All right, well let's just dive on in with prayer here, and oh I'll give you a heads up here, as you probably noticed as you were clicking the play button. This could be a little longer episode. I don't know for sure, but I'm suspecting it will be. But I, it does have deep material, but I think it can be explained in a fairly reasonable way. And so I want to just give a little extra time so that it is easier. <laughs> it is easier, you know. 
All right, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, dearest eternal Son of God and blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for your community of love, your eternal outpouring of love into each other, uh, and then in time, your outpouring of love into us. We thank you so much, and we ask that you open up our minds and hearts so that we can benefit from this teaching here, that we may be wiser, and not just wiser, but even have that deeper love of wisdom, true philosophers. May we have our hearts and minds ready and primed today for whatever you bring us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So I want to mention briefly a little, just to highlight a few things that we're coming from Plato. Plato talked about the realm of the forms. And these forms uh, are the most truest of all reality. And somehow they drip into the nothingness of, <laughs> of nothing <laughs> and become images. And so the form of goodness becomes some kind of a visible reality as it, as it uh, drips down into our world, as, as these visible forms are being stimulated into existence. So we have good things here. And these, so this is the first thing, that there, he proposes that there are intangible, eternal, spiritual realities. He calls them forms. You can call them whatever you want. And there's maybe different things. You, we could say they're angels. We could say they're ideas. We could say they're God himself. So that's a big deal to, that he points to those things. And then this, this connection with the things of this world, with the, with the realm of the forms, he calls that participation. That's also really significant. That's really key. We're going to get into that later on. So you don't have to understand it perfectly right now, but we're going to get into that a little bit more. So these, these are two key contributions that he offers to us uh, specifically for this, this deep dive that we're doing here now. Aristotle comes along. Remember, he's the student, a student of Plato, just as Plato was a student of Socrates. Aristotle just writes an incredible amount, and it's all in intense detail. Intense detail. Oh, it's so tedious. <laughs> you pick up a book of Aristotle, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy was way smarter than I'll ever be, than I could ever imagine I could be, or that I ever could imagine anyone could be. So one of those was a book on physics, about how objects relate with each other, how they bump into each other, how they cause and effect you know with each other and then he decides that with this study of the physical things that are seen he's going to now address the question that the pre-socratics this philosophers before socrates addressed as i had mentioned what is the world made of what is the source of it all what's at the base of it is it water is it atoms is it nothing is it change they had all proposed or some that all these were proposed by these pre-Socratics. And Aristotle looks into this with really deep insight, uh, really, really deep insight. So this study is what we call metaphysics. The word meta just means after or beyond. So you might already see where this comes from. It's the study done after physics in the big compilation of Aristotle's works. They were kind of put into order 
and there was physics and then there was a study of being and because the study of being was after physics they just called it after physics or metaphysics <laughs> so it really doesn't mean anything in that sense uh or maybe you know you can read into a little bit more and say it's beyond physics it looks beyond the things of this world to get at the thing of existence the, the nature of existence itself so Thomas Aquinas comes along like 1,500 years later. And I'm not going to say there were not any philosophers that brought deeper nuance to this. Certainly uh, one of the disciples of Plato was really significant. His name was Plotinus. He started up the Neoplatonic movement, uh, Neoplatonism, which did have a great influence on the early church fathers. It really, really did. Uh, Augustine drew from him heavily. I think he said that there's... All the truths of philosophy that we need are found in Neoplatonism. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, it was a significant thing. Um, and I think Augustine himself would call himself a Christian Neoplatonist. Uh, before he was Christian, he believed in Neoplatonism philosophy. He believed in a lot of other things beforehand as well, but this is one of the better things. And it was perfected in Jesus Christ. Now... In the years, you know, 1,200s, St. Thomas Aquinas comes along and he rediscovers. No, he doesn't rediscover, but Aristotle is kind of re, re, more recently at that time discovered uh, from the influence that is more recently had with the, with the Arabic people, Muslim people there. And they bring in Aristotle, uh, St. Albert the Great, Thomas's own teacher, was profiting from the rediscovery of Al of Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas profited from him the most and he did a deep 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 dive into Aristotle comments he off he wrote commentaries on the works of Aristotle and just absorbed it very much and he came to agree with Aristotle that the very the very the very base of existence is existence itself it's it's being it's being it's this that stands out from non-being um and aristotle taught that thomas aquinas taught that now thomas aquinas will add a whole different reality not a whole different reality but he'll give a nuance to this which will be game-changing and he will do a study on being that proposes that being is first and foremost active or rather it's an act it's a verb it's it's a doing it's a being it's an actively standing out of existence it's not just like things existed and then and then there's nothing else that was being no it's it was it's a continual act it's just as uh you can push a pedal and call it riding a bike but if you're going to be on a bike moving forward, then you have to be riding the bike. And this is kind of what St. Thomas Aquinas was saying. If you are going to be a being moving into the future, then you have to continually do this basic act of being. <laughs> you have to be continuously in the future, which is an act, which is an act. If it wasn't an act, you would flash into existence and you would flash away. Uh, it would be one act. In it, but he's saying no. It's a continual acting. Being itself is an act. 
being itself is an act. So it's kind of crazy. There's a fancy word that he gives to this essay he's writing in Latin, E-S-S-E. It's the act of being. It's the being of a being. It's the act of being. So let's define this. Divine this various things. A being. What the heck is a being? You kind of we kind of get a sense of what a being is already. A being is an individual existence. It is a one thing that exists. That which is. And so in this phrase, that which is, a being is the that part. And which is is just describing what it's doing. It's it is that which is. It's the that. Uh, a being is that which is. So, the girl that is, well, the being here would be girl. The school bus that is, again, the being here would be the school bus. It is the, the thing. I don't want to use the word a thing because we can think of like angels. You know, they don't have material, um, but nonetheless, they exist, don't they? They don't have bodies. Nonetheless, they exist. So it is an, an individual existence. That's what I mean by a being. Not being, but a being. A particular instance of being. Now, there's a second part of that definition. That which is. That is, is, is describing that act of standing out of non-existence or non-being to be. The girl that is, is is what she's doing, among other things, perhaps. She could be combing her hair, but she is. She stands out of reality. Uh, she stands out of, or I guess non-reality, excuse me, and she busts forth on the scene of existence. The school bus is. It, it stands out from a world that doesn't exist, the world of nothingness, and it it is. You can see it. You can ride in it. You can drive it. You can crash it. You can give it wings and it can fly, maybe. <laughs> but this is this is a key thing. So we're talking about a being versus being. A being is the individual existence and being is is either what it's doing or it's the composition of all being in the world. We can also consider the totality of existence, you know, the universe, the whole enchilada. You know, let's let's not ignore that as well. That is that's a key part of what we're talking about here. And then there is the being of a being. You know, this is the that not the that part, but the which is. It's the being. The act of being. It's what all of us do. And it's an action. A baby is, it exists. It exists before it cries, it exists before it eats, it exists before it poops, it exists before it grows, it exists before it thinks, it exists before it falls into love, and so on. But the very basis of its, of its actions is, of, is existing. It's the act of being. And it has to do this all the way through. It doesn't just come into being and boom, the act is done. I'm kind of repeating myself here now. It's not just the beginning of its existence but it continues in that being, okay? So, this idea of being is what is common to all beings. What we see in everything that is, is isness, is being. Everything that bees is being. <laughs> everything that is, is, is doing this act of being. And 
let's think about it more broadly. You know, a tree has its own being. A sponge has its own being. A bubble has its own being. The sky and the clouds and the stars have their own being. This is cool. This is really neat. An intellectual reality has a being, but also non-intellectual beings have their being. And nonetheless, we can say that this reality of being is shared by all of these things. And it all comes from somewhere. And if being is a pure, pure act, we can imagine what the pureness of that act would be. If there were no limitations on being, if it was just being itself, this essay, this is what we would see is, if it had no limits, well, it could create everything. If it had no limits, it would know everything. If it had no limits, you know, it would be, be everywhere at the same time. And this is essay, pure, 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 pure existence. You know, it's another philosophical rabbit hole that would be worthy going down to go through the very characteristics of that being. We're going to go through some of the basic ones that are shared by all being, but, but we can look at this. Now, I want to connect this with a piece of revelation here. When Moses sees the burning bush, think about what he hears. Who does God say that he is? What is this voice claim that its name is? I am who am. I am who am. It's kind of like saying I'm being itself. I am. I am who I am. I am beingness. It's kind of like whoa. <laughs> yes, you know, wrap your mind around that. You know, there's all kinds of different difficulties in translating that that word that we have, but. I am who am is the one who is. He is who he is. There's not an essence that is different than his being. The, the description of who he is is just pure being. Whoa. He does not have limits. His existence is pure existence. It's pure being. How cool is that? So, you know, we could go into different philosophical explanations of of different things, blah, 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 blah. But I'm now going to draw a relationship between pure existence, essay, the pure act of being, like the pure, pure act of being, uninhibited, unlimited, the pure act of being, and the beings that we see in this world. There is a relationship because we have to have our being from somewhere. Uh, there has to be... Anything that exists has to, has, a, has to have a cause, right? Unless it's its own cause, but that's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, I did not cause myself to exist. I had parents, you know, that tree right there that I'm looking at, it did not cause itself to exist. It had a parent tree. The building that I'm in now, it had builders. Everything, everything, everything had a being uh, that from which it came from. You know, we can even trace everything back to the Big Bang, you know, theoretically. And... Then we have to ask the question, okay, well, where did the Big Bang come from? It itself is not a moment of creation. That's just silly and ridiculous. It had to have a source. It had to be a big, big banger, if you'll excuse kind of a dumb thing to say. <laughs> it had to, be, had to be someone or something to do the Big Bang. Well, 
That is pure existence. This is the source of it all. Maybe you're already seeing how this might connect connect and making an argument for the existence of God. I don't want to do that explicitly now, but you quite likely, maybe, are able to be able to see how this works here. So, pure being. All being must come from that pure being. It must have its source in something that itself is not a cause. And so, all being, whether, you know, all being has a relationship with the pure being, essay. <clears throat> and this means a couple different things. You know, the tradition, we're going to get it now at the idea of participation. This is the relationship that we can describe. And we're going to use the idea of analogy to describe this. Analogy is a way of speaking to show similarity and difference. Uh, here's an analogy. The girl plowed through the crowd like a school bus. Sorry for the violent analogy. There's a difference and a similarity in every analogy. That's what makes an analogy unique. It's not just saying the difference is absolute. There are no similarities here. If that was the case, uh, well, it wouldn't fit our mind because our mind can only absorb things that are intelligible. And all being as we are is, is intelligible. It's knowable. And so if it's something is different than us, totally different from us, well, it's not going to be knowable. <laughs> I mean, they can't know it. So uh, it's not pure difference, nor is it pure similarity. If it was pure similarity, that's to say if it's the sameness, like 100% the sameness, it will be me, or it will be the thing that I describe. Um, that picture frame is that picture frame. Okay, that's really not adding anything. You don't really get any insight into that. But you can say that picture frame is is round. That picture frame is square. Uh, or more better, if you want to get an analogy, the, um, that picture frame is as square as, as a window. Okay, there you go. Windows are square. The, uh, the picture frame is square. Uh, the picture frame is not the window, and the window is not the square. There's a similarity because they're both square, but there's a difference between one is not the other. Or you could say, hey, that picture frame is as square as my cousin. <laughs> square, you know, if you use kind of this 80s language, I think they use that more in, back in the day to kind of say someone is boring. And or maybe, it's a, maybe it's a way to say that someone just doesn't stand out. I really don't remember. Anyways, um, but use this analogy here. Okay, picture frame, it has these square corners just like my cousin. Now, there's a bigger difference than picture frame and window here, but there's still a similarity. Uh, there's still a similarity. Whether being square as a human being means you're boring, well, well there's just kind of, he's kind of a cookie cutter and a very simple cookie cutter. There's nothing interesting about him, just like that picture frame is square. There's nothing interesting about him. If to be square as a human being means that you kind of stand out of the mold, and let's say the mold is, is round, then then you are like that picture frame, which is not round either. You know, there's it's something uh, different than other picture frames, just like my cousin who is square is different than others. <laughs> I should have looked that up beforehand. Sorry about that. Anyways, analogy is about similarity and difference. Now, we're going to get at the analogy of being. The analogy of being is going to highlight certain similarities and certain differences. 
it's its own kind of analogy here. I mean, it's got relationships to other formal categories of analogy, but we'll skip that background and we'll just kind of highlight the similarities and highlight the differences. Again, this is for the idea of participation with this analogy of being. So let's look at the story here. Essay, the pure act of being, and all being spins out of this, comes out of this, exists out of this, and shares something with that pure being. Now, there has to be something different with beings and being itself. If there was no difference, then it would just be pure sameness, and we would be being itself. There would be no limits on us, just as there's no limits on, on pure being. But I look at myself, I look at the world around me, I see all kinds of limits, and therefore I must d decide and declare that, okay, there is real difference here. But there's also similarity. There's also similarity. And the reason why there's similarity is because I can look at pure being and I can say, okay, there's unity in pure being. It's not like there's parts of it. Over here is BE and over here is ING. That's not how pure being works. That's only the word. The pure being itself is just that one singular act. So there's unity. And I look at the things of the world. I am one. The book is one. The tree is one. The girl is one. The school bus is one. And so on. So there's unity. This is a similarity. Also, there's an act. Just as being is pure act, the pure act of being. So as I was describing earlier, you know, us, the world of beings, each one of us beings stands out from non-existence, non-reality, and we do the act of being. So that's another similarity. It's an act of stepping out of nothingness. Thirdly, it's intelligible. It is intelligible. That pure act of being, it can be philosophically known. It can be philosophically known and investigated in and described. So it's intelligible. It's knowable. And I look around at the world um, maybe someone who's listening is a chemist or a biologist or a geologist or a psychologist or a blah, blah, blahist, whatever it is. You can know things. You can know things. If something exists, it can be known. It doesn't have to be known perfectly to be known, but it can be known. It is knowable. So it's another similarity. Fourthly, pure act is good. Pure act is good. It uh, There's another little thing that I'll just mention here, it's a little principle. Goodness diffuses itself. Goodness diffuses itself. And we look at the pure being and it diffuses itself because we are here. We are beings that have spun out of the act of pure being. So being is good. Being is good. And we look around at the beings of this world and it is good. Um, goodness is what all things seek. And we have a tendency... It's part of our instinct. It's part of who we are as a being. Our instinct is to survive, to continue to live, to continue to be, to continue even to better ourselves in different ways. A tree betters itself by growing. A human betters itself by growing in all the different capacities that it has. And so everything that exists is good because it has a tendency to continue to exist. So unity act, intelligible, and good. These are qualities that 
all things share in and participate in with the goodness. There are differences in the world, but there are also similarities. And these similarities have their source in the pure act of being. So the pure act of being, it, it somehow is actively causing all being to exist. And because effects share something of their cause, so all the beings of this world being effects have some share in the pure act of being, which is the cause here. Um, you know, just to give a little background to that principle, kids will look like their parents because there's something of the cause in every effect. You can also point to drawing or writing a book or some kind of artistic reality. There is something that you can learn about the author or the artist by looking at their work. You can know they're intelligent. You can know that they had a hand to write it. You can know that they had a mind to think it. You know, at the very basic, you can learn this. There is something of the writer in the book. There's something of the cause in the effect. So we see that with this pure act of being and all other forms of being. And it spins out. And we also should recognize that we are being sustained by this pure act of being. If there is no pure act of being, then, then we don't really have much of a chance to continue with our own little personal beings. So let's kind of highlight some of these realities now. Um, we've talked about the similarities. The similarities are there because of the causal relationship with with the pure act of being we have a dependence upon that pure act of being let me repeat that again because this is a big key part of analogy of not analogy of participation wherever you find participation there will be some form of dependence there will be half there has to be some sense of causing and dependence based on that cause so all beings depend upon the pure act of being i'm going to give some examples of participation later on here in just a moment but hang with me here so participation depends on a causal relationship a relationship where one being is dependent upon the other being secondly there is the similarity of the characteristic of the quality of the description. We talked about those four qualities earlier. Those are called transcendental qualities. They transcend just a particular being and they are shared by all of them. That's why they're transcendental because they transcend any individual. They, they touch every being. So they touch every being. So we have a share in that. But we don't have the same share in the pure act of being, which is most pure, perfect unity, most pure, purely act. It is most purely intelligible. It is most purely good. And it is in the sense that it's, it's unity itself, it's act itself, it's intelligibility itself, it's goodness itself. That's how pure it has it. Us, you know, we don't have that the same way. We don't have that to such a degree. And the reason is, is because we have limitations. We have pure being in us, um, but, but only kind of like it's been, excuse me, we don't have pure being in us. We have being, 
We have being. We don't have the pureness of being. We have various limitations. So we share in these transcendental qualities and perhaps other qualities as well, but only in proportion. And there can be various proportions. An angel has a certain share in goodness, a greater share in goodness than human beings. But human beings have also greater share in goodness than than a tree. And a tree has greater share in goodness than, than a rock, I would propose. Some might disagree if it's a really cool rock. I don't know. But there's different proportions of it. And this is in proportion to their being. But nonetheless, the being owns that quality, that characteristic. It is truly one, that tree, that rock, that human being, that angel. It is truly one, even though it's kind of different. There's different degrees of goodness, but each one does have a true sense of goodness. Each one can be qualified as good. It is their own proper characteristic. All right? All right? Complicated here. So the analogy of being is one of participation. The analogy of being is one of participation. There are similarities and their differences. So this is kind of the big summing up here before I give some examples. The analogy of being is one of participation. That is to say, we have a dependence, all beings have a dependence on the one true act of being, but nonetheless we own all qualities that we have received from that one being though it is in proportion to our own being. So, for example, Jesus Christ is the great high priest. I participate in his priesthood. I participate in his priesthood. That is to say that he has given it to me. He has caused it in me. All right, so there's a relationship of dependence. Secondly, it's I am a priest. I do say that I'm a priest because I do priestly things. I offer sacrifice and I forgive sins. But I only do that in proportion. There's the kind of the third dimension there. I only do that in proportion to which I share in Jesus. He's given me a particular portion of that share in his priesthood, which allows me to offer the sacrifice of the Mass as well as to forgive sins. Um, I don't have such a proportion of his priesthood where I can make any sacrifice I want and have it be <laughs> sufficient. I don't have such a share in his priesthood where I can forgive sins without God's forgiveness, his power to forgive. Nope, I depend upon him. He is the one who is doing these acts through me. So I participate in his priesthood. Um, we can think of, oh, I had another example. What was that other example? Uh, theology is kind of rife with this idea of participation. It really, really is. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, a different one. Um, we can think of authority. Authority, okay? So you got a boss at your place, you know, the big CEO. Let's say you work at a huge company, and the CEO has authority. He has authority to make decisions, and he delegates that authority to various persons. And let's say your boss is the vice president. Uh, he's not the CEO. He takes orders from the CEO. And the CEO gave, uh, has delegated particular authority to the vice president. That, and this vice president 
gives you particular authority over the team that you manage, let's say. And each one of these chains of authority gets weakened as you go along, but each participates in it. Your job depends on your vice president. Your vice president's job depends on the CEO. There is a causal relationship here. Uh, it is the, the CEO's responsibility to ultimately, ultimately, to keep employees or to get rid of them. And so your presence there <laughs> depends on the CEO. But it also depends on the vice president because the vice president is sharing in that responsibility, uh, participating that responsibility. So I've highlighted there is a relationship of dependence, of causality. There is also a true authority that each one of them has. They, your, your vice president boss can fire you. He doesn't have to go to the CEO. He has that authority. Okay, so, and you also have authority to let go of the people underneath you. You don't have to go to the CEO. You have a true share in this authority. You have a true participation in it. And yet, um, you're accountable. If you make a bad decision, <laughs> you're going to get fired. <laughs> so it's only in proportion. So it's, you have a dependent relationship within this workplace. You have the authority there, but it's only a proportion of the authority. And the proportion changes as it kind of trickles down. So again, with that in mind now, let me re-describe this analogy of being. It's, it's a tricky concept. I know it is. There is the pure act of being. All being comes from it. All being shares in the qualities that the one true being has in various degrees. But truly, if you are a being, you are good, you are one, you are knowable, intelligible, and you are active. So... Those are true properties that you have, but you only have them in proportion to the one true act of being. All right. All right. So that's a fair bit there where we've gone a long time here. So the pure act of being, this is kind of the next stage here. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of um, description of how we come from this eternal act of being and kind of give a sense of uh, what our own being is and why we have differences. So think of, I'm going to give you two examples. They're, they're both going to be bad, just to be frank. They're both going to be bad. Um, but when we're talking about things that don't have a body and if we learn things by observation of things that are bodily, well, we're going to have to get at the, the truth of the reality through bad examples, <laughs> physical examples. Think of, let's see here, think of an ocean. That ocean is the pure act of being. And you have a cup in your hand, and you're going to make a being. Uh, and right now it's just empty. There's no being inside of it. There's just a form. There's just a shape. Uh, this form or shape we can call the essence of a thing because it provides the limits of being. And what makes me different from you is that you are limited in one way and I'm limited in another way. If I didn't have any limits, I would be God Almighty. I'd be pure being. But I don't. I have limits. And it's the limits that give us distinction. That's why I'm not a tree. That's why I'm not a deck of cards. That's why I'm not Mother Teresa. This is why I'm not a diamond. Because I have different limits than they do. And this is a way to describe this. 
you have a little cup in your hand. You scoop out from this pure active being, this ocean of pure active being, and you take some of that being and you have it in your cup. And this cup has being. It provides a particular shape to it. You could imagine you could fill a water balloon with it, which have a different shape. You could fill a vase with it and have it a different shape to it. You could fill a do 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 a file cabinet with this active pure being, and it would have its own limited form of being. And it gives shape to this. This is not a good example because the ocean has limits, and the active pure being doesn't have limits. It is also not a good example because it's physicality. Uh, and the act of pure being doesn't have physicality. Um, it's also, uh, you'll notice the the conclusion from this is that when there is matter involved, when there's physical stuff involved, that already entails a limit of being. Because if I have matter, if I have a physical body, I already have a limitation of not being able to be across the street. I can't be in China. I can't be right there with you by your side right now because I have a physical body. And it's not there. It's here. It's limited by time as well. So if something doesn't have these limits, if it's unlimited, well, it's not going to have a physical body. It will not be limited by time either. Um, let's use a different example. Oh, I was going to say one final reason why it's a bad example is because the cup here is its own being. And you can't have being limit being. That's just, just kind of weird. No, it's just, uh, you can't have like a, a shape of something that doesn't exist but giving form to something that does exist I don't know if I'm making sense there but follow me on this next example here just imagine if all of creation from Mars to the farthest galaxy to your eyeball everything was this pure ocean of being it's not water it's just pure pure being the pure act of being Obviously, and we're falling again to the problem of physicality. Pure active being doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have body. It doesn't have matter. It's an analogy. And this pure active being, this eternal ocean, this endless, unlimited ocean of the pure active being. Uh, let's say it's it sloshes. It sloshes, and some of this pure active being sloshes away somehow mysteriously. And it freezes in midair. It freezes in midair. Well, check this out. It's going to have a particular shape. It's going to have limitations. It's not going to have the pure active being. It's not going to have unlimited nature. It's going to be frozen like it is. And it doesn't have space that's limiting it. It just has this a limited amount of being. I like this analogy better, even though it's kind of still kind of weird. How, how can you have something slosh out when there's no space for something to slosh out into? And uh, if there's no air for it to be cold, I guess water can be cold. But anyways, so it's not a perfect example. But I think it really does kind of identify that there is a being that kind of comes forth from the pure act of being. And it, and it is, even though it has limitations. Um, another weakness of this example, however, is that that water must leave the ocean in order for it to freeze and therefore cause the ocean to diminish, even though maybe slightly. But for the pure act of being, as being comes forth from it, as my being comes forth from it, it does not diminish the pure act of being. It's still the pure act of being. Uh, so, you know, the analogies fail here. The analogies fail here. But we believe this. 
The pure act of being has no limits, no beginning, nor end, no, nor beginning. But creaturely beings do. There are always limits. If it didn't have limits, we would be unlimited and we would be the pure act of being. The nature of being a being is to be limited, to have beginnings, to have the what we call the limitations. There's actually a technical series of words. You can call it a form, the essence, the nature of a thing. It's actually our limitations that make us be what we are. Um, I have limited intelligence, but I have an intelligence. A dog has much more of a limited intelligence. It can't know things as I do. It can't love as I do. Uh, but it doesn't have the same limits of, of a squirrel. And a squirrel doesn't have the limits of a plant. And a plant doesn't have the limits of a rock. So more and more and more, there's all these different degrees of limitations. Um, you and me, you, know, you have the same intelligence I do. But your form... So your form and your nature is different except for the fact that it's composed not just of kind of a, a, the, the spiritual, kind of like the essence of who you are as a human being, but you are also composed with matter. Your body's not my body, even though your humanity is my humanity. That's kind of cool to think. Your humanity is my humanity because we share in the exact same limitation. The only unique thing about you and me is that not only are we limited by the form or the nature or the essence of being a human, but we're also limited by the particular matter in which our, our humanity exists. I am me, not you, even though we're both humans. So take that for what it is there. We're getting closer to the end here. We're getting closer to the end. I want to highlight some implications of this. This is pretty much at the end here. And these are really neat. We are all connected. We are all connected in being. This is the first implication I really, really want to highlight. We are all connected in being. You know, the whole world shares existence in different degrees, in different ways, in different qualities, but some of these qualities are universal, that is to say transcendental. We all are part of a, you know, family is not the right word because it has a kind of different connotation, but we're all part of the common existence. Uh, my being makes up a part of all of existence. Even though I'm not the pure act of being, uh, though I make up the full realm of existence. So that's the first implication. Isn't that just neat? We are all connected. I am connected by sharing this being. Secondly, it clarifies the basis of our relationship with God. There's certainly more to it, but it clarifies the basis of our relationship with God, who is the pure act of being. I am who am. I is who I is. I is who is. I am all being. You know, you know, a bazillion different ways you could probably phrase that. It's kind of hard to get at that. But I am who am. And we share in that. I, Sean O'Brien, am me. That which is. Sean O'Brien is that which is Sean O'Brien, you know? <laughs> so uh, I am a being. And I share in this relationship with God because I share in some qualities of him. 
the unity, the activity, the intelligibility, the goodness, but then other things as well. There's more to it as well, which is kind of neat. Um, so we have this relationship with God. We have this dependent relationship with God. We share in the qualities of God, even though the qualities are to be purely found inside of us as well. They are proper to who we are. So that's a basis of our relationship with God. Uh, thirdly, we kind of get an insight of the greatness of the dignity of spirit over matter. Spirit does not have the limitation of body. Therefore, it's more, excuse me, I guess maybe it's more unlimited. You can't, I don't know if you can be more unlimited because if you don't have limits, that's the only way you can be unlimited. And angels do have limits, but their, their limits are not physical. Their limits are in accordance with their essence, their nature, their form, which is kind of unique. If they don't have bodies to separate from each other, and doesn't that just leave them with pure sameness? But if they were just pure sameness, then wouldn't they be the same species? Wouldn't they be the same, <laughs> all species be the same angel itself? So Thomas Aquinas will highlight the fact that, hey, guess what? All angels, they have their own unique form, their unique nature, their unique essence. If they did not, then they would be the one and the same. But if there were going to be multiple things of the one and the same, they would have to have bodies. They don't have bodies, therefore... They can't be one and the same, therefore they must be different of body, excuse me, of essence, nature, form, whatever you want to call it. But they have less limitations than we humans do. So they're greater. So there's a hierarchy. We learn a hierarchy of things. Okay, very good. Very good, very good, very good. I'm trying to think here if I need to add anything else. Um, I don't think so. I think we kind of got it all here. But there's just a lot, a lot of, it's super abstract. I hope I did a good job of explaining it. Uh, next time, it'll be much more fun. I think the next round will be one on causes. And uh, it'll be kind of cool. We can use some pretty practical examples and see how it makes a, an impact on our theological understanding of the universe and philosophical understanding of the universe. And after that, we'll be primed to look at some of these arguments for the existence of God. Like I mentioned in this episode, you might already be intuiting some of these, um, at least one basic one, if everything has a cause, uh, well, there must be something that caused, has no cause, otherwise it's just kind of an endless series of causes. But anyways, we're going to get into that later on. So peace be with you. Share this with a friend if you find it be helpful. Hopefully this did not just overwhelm you. Tune in next time for a more simple round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. May God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So I want to mention briefly a little, just to highlight a few things that were coming from Plato. Plato talked about the realm of the forms. And these forms... Uh, are the most truest of all reality. And somehow they drip into the nothingness of, <laughs> of nothing <laughs> and become images. And so the form of goodness becomes some kind of a visible reality as it, as it uh, drips down into our world, as, as these visible forms are being stimulated into existence. So we have good things here. And these, so this is the first thing, that there he proposes that there are intangible, eternal, spiritual realities. He calls them forms. You can call them whatever you want. 
And there's maybe different things. You know, we could say they're angels. We could say they're ideas. We could say they're God himself. So that's a big deal to, that he points to those things. And then this, this connection with the things of this world, with the, with the realm of the forms, he calls that participation. That's also really significant. That's really key. We're going to get into that later on. So you don't have to understand it perfectly right now, but we're going to get into that a little bit more. So these, these are two key contributions that he offers to us uh, specifically for this, this deep dive that we're doing here now. Aristotle comes along. Remember, he's the student, a student of Plato, just as Plato was a student of Socrates. Aristotle just writes an incredible amount, and it's all in intense detail. Intense detail. Oh, it's so tedious. <laughs> you pick up a book of Aristotle, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy was way smarter than I'll ever be, than I could ever imagine I could be, or that I ever could imagine anyone could be. So one of those was a book on physics, about how objects relate with each other, how they bump into each other, how they cause and effect you know, with each other. And then he decides that with this study of the physical things that are seen, he's going to now address the question that the pre-Socratics, this philosophers before Socrates addressed, as I had mentioned, what is the world made of? What is the source of it all? What's at the base of it? Is it water? Is it atoms? Is it nothing? Is it change? They had all proposed or something that, all these were proposed by these pre-Socratics. And Aristotle looks into this with really deep insight, uh, really, really deep insight. So this study is what we call metaphysics. The word meta just means after or beyond. So you might already see where this comes from. It's the study done after physics in the big compilation of Aristotle's works. They were kind of put into order. And there was physics, and then there was a study of being. And because the study of being was after physics, they just called it after physics or metaphysics. <laughs> so it really doesn't mean anything in that sense. Uh, or maybe, you know, you can read into it a little bit more and say it's beyond physics. It looks beyond the things of this world to get at the thing of existence, the, the nature of existence itself. So Thomas Aquinas comes along like 1,500 years later. And I'm not going to say there were not any philosophers that brought deeper nuance to this. Certainly uh, one of the disciples of Plato was really significant. His name was Plotinus. He started up the Neoplatonic movement, uh, Neoplatonism, which did have a great influence on the early church fathers. It really, really did. Uh, Augustine drew from him heavily. I think he said that there's... All the truths of philosophy that we need are found in Neoplatonism. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, it was a significant thing. Um, and I think Augustine himself would call himself a Christian Neoplatonist. Uh, before he was Christian, he believed in Neoplatonism philosophy. He believed in a lot of other things beforehand as well, but this is one of the better things. And it was perfected in Jesus Christ. Now... In the years, you know, 1,200s, St. Thomas Aquinas comes along and he rediscovers. Now, he doesn't rediscover, but Aristotle is kind of re, re, more recently at that time discovered uh, from the influence that is more recently had with the 
with the Arabic people, Muslim people there. And they bring in Aristotle, uh, St. Albert the Great, Thomas's own teacher, was profiting from the rediscovery of, of Aristotle. And Thomas Aquinas profited from him the most. And he did a deep, deep, deep dive into Aristotle. Comments, he, off, he wrote commentaries on the works of Aristotle and just absorbed it very much. And he came to agree with Aristotle that the very, the very, the very base of existence is existence itself. It's it's being. It's being. It's this that stands out from non-being. Um, and Aristotle taught that. Thomas Aquinas taught that. Now, Thomas Aquinas will add. A whole different reality not a whole different reality but he'll give a nuance to this which will be game-changing and he will do a study on being that proposes that being is first and foremost active or rather it's an act it's a verb it's it's a doing it's a being it's an actively standing out of existence it's not just like things existed and then and then there's nothing else that was being. No, it's it was it's a continual act. It's just as uh, you can push a pedal and call it riding a bike. But if you're going to be on a bike moving forward, then you have to be riding the bike. And this is kind of what St. Thomas Aquinas was saying. If you are going to be a being moving into the future, then you have to continually do this basic act of being <laughs> you have to be continuously in the future which is an act which is an act if it wasn't an act you would flash into existence and you would flash away uh, it would be one act in it but he's saying no it's a continual acting being itself is an act being itself is an act so it's kind of crazy there's a fancy word that he gives to this essay he's writing in latin e-s-s-e it's the act of being it's the being of a being it's the act of being so let's define this define this various things a being what the heck is a being you kind of we kind of get a sense of what a being is already a being is an individual existence it is a one thing that exists that which is and so in this phrase that which is a being is the that part and which is is just describing what it's doing it's it is that which is. It's the that. Uh, a being is that which is. So, the girl that is, well, the being here would be girl. The school bus that is, again, the being here would be the school bus. It is the, the thing. I don't want to use the word thing because we can think of like angels. You know, they don't have material, um, but nonetheless, they exist, don't they? They don't have bodies. Nonetheless, they exist. So it is an, an individual existence. That's what I mean by a being. Not being, but a being. A particular instance of being. Now, there's a second part of that definition. That which is. That is, is, is describing that act of standing out of non-existence or non-being to be. The girl that is, is is what she's doing among other things perhaps she could be combing her hair but she 
is. She stands out of reality. Uh, she stands out of, or I guess non-reality, excuse me. And she busts forth on the scene of existence. The school bus is. It, it stands out from a world that doesn't exist, the world of nothingness. And it, it is. You can see it. You can ride in it. You can drive it. You can crash it. You can give it wings and it can fly, maybe. <laughs> but this is, this is a key thing. So we're talking about A-being versus being. A-being is the individual existence and being is, is either what it's doing or it's the composition of all being in the world. We can also consider the totality of existence, you know, the universe, the whole enchilada. You know, let's let's not ignore that as well. That is that's a key part of what we're talking about here. And then there is the being of a being. You know, this is the that not the that part, but the which is. It's the being. The act of being. It's what all of us do. And it's an action. A baby is, it exists. It exists before it cries, it exists before it eats, it exists before it poops, it exists before it grows, it exists before it thinks, it exists before it falls into love, and so on. But the very basis of its, of its actions is, of, is existing. It's the act of being. And it has to do this all the way through. It doesn't just come into being and boom, the act is done. I'm kind of repeating myself here now. It's not just the beginning of its existence but it continues in that being, okay? So, this idea of being is what is common to all beings. What we see in everything that is, is isness, is being. Everything that bees is being. <laughs> everything that is, is, is doing this act of being. And let's think about it more broadly. You know, a tree has its own being, a sponge has its own being, a bubble has its own being the sky and the clouds and the stars have their own being this is cool this is really neat an intellectual reality has a being but also non-intellectual beings have their being and nonetheless we can say that this reality of being is shared by all of these things and it all comes from somewhere and if being is a pure pure act we can imagine what the pureness of that act would be if there were no limitations on being, if it was just being itself, this essay. This is what we would see is if it had no limits, well, it could create everything. If it had no limits, it would know everything. If it had no limits, you know, it would be, be everywhere at the same time. And this is essay, pure, 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 pure existence. You know, it's another philosophical rabbit hole that would be worthy going down to go through the very characteristics of that being. We're going to go through some of the basic ones that are shared by all being, but, but we can look at this. Now, I want to connect this with a piece of revelation here. When Moses sees the burning bush, think about what he hears. Who does God say that he is? What does this voice claim that its name is? I am who am. I am who am. It's kind of like saying, I'm being itself. I am 
I am who I am. I am beingness. It's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> yes, you know, wrap your mind around that. You know, there's all kinds of different difficulties in translating that, that word that we have. But I am who am is the one who is. He is who he is. There's not an essence that is different than his being. It, the, the description of who he is is just pure being. Whoa. He does not have limits. His existence is pure existence. It's pure being. How cool is that? So, you know, we could go into different philosophical explanations of, of different things, blah, 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 blah. But I'm now going to draw a relationship between pure existence, essay, the pure act of being, like the pure, pure act of being, uninhibited, unlimited, the pure act of being, and the beings that we see in this world. There is a relationship, because we have to have our being from somewhere. Uh, there has to be anything that exists has, has, a, has to have a cause, right? Unless it's its own cause, but that's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, I did not cause myself to exist. I had parents, you know, that tree right there that I'm looking at, it did not cause itself to exist. It had a parent tree. The building that I'm in now, it had builders. Everything, everything, everything had a being uh, that from which it came from. You know, we can even trace everything back to the Big Bang, you know, theoretically. And then we have to ask the question, okay, well, where did the Big Bang come from? It itself is not a moment of creation. That's just silly and ridiculous. It had to have a source. It had to be a big, big banger, if you'll excuse kind of a dumb thing to say. <laughs> had to be, had to be someone or something to do the big bang. Well, that is pure existence. This is the source of it all. Maybe you're already seeing how this might connect connect and making an argument for the existence of God. I don't want to do that explicitly now, but you quite likely maybe are able to be able to see how this works here. So pure being, all being must come from that pure being. It must have its source in something that itself is not a cause. And so all being, whether, you know, all being has a relationship with the pure being essay. <clears throat> and this means a couple different things. You know, the tradition, we're going to get it now with the idea of participation. This is the relationship that we can describe. And we're going to use the idea of analogy to describe this. Analogy is a way of speaking to show similarity and difference. Uh, here's an analogy. The girl plowed through the crowd like a school bus. Sorry for the violent analogy. There's a difference and a similarity in every analogy. That's what makes an analogy unique. It's not just saying the difference is absolute. There are no similarities here. If that was the case, uh, well, it wouldn't fit our mind because our mind can only absorb things that are intelligible and all being as we are is, is intelligible. It's knowable. And so if it's something is different than us, totally different from us, well, it's not going to be knowable. <laughs> I mean, they can't know it. So uh, it's not pure difference, nor is it pure similarity. If it was pure similarity, that's to say if it's the sameness, like 100% the sameness, it will be me or it will be the thing that I describe. Um, that picture frame is that picture frame. 
Okay, that's really not adding anything. You don't really get any insight into that. But you can say that picture frame is is round. That picture frame is square. Uh, or more better, if you want to get an analogy, the, um, that picture frame is as square as as a window. Okay, there you go. Windows are square. The uh, the picture frame is square. Uh, the picture frame is not the window, and the window is not the square. There's a similarity because they're both square, but there's a difference between one is not the other. Or you could say, hey, that picture frame is as square as my cousin. <laughs> square, you know, if you use kind of this 80s language, I think they use that more in, back in the day to kind of say someone is boring. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a way to say that someone just doesn't stand out. I really don't remember. Anyways, um, but use this analogy here. Okay. Picture frame, it has these square corners just like my cousin. Now, there's a bigger difference than picture frame and window here, but there's still a similarity. Uh, there's still a similarity. Whether being square as a human being means you're boring, well, well there's just kind of, he's kind of a cookie cutter and a very simple cookie cutter. There's nothing interesting about him, just like that picture frame is square. There's nothing interesting about him. If to be square as a human being means that you kind of stand out of the mold, and let's say the mold is, is round, then then you are like that picture frame, which is not round either. You know, there's it's something uh, different than other picture frames, just like my cousin who is square is different than others. <laughs> I should have looked that up beforehand. Sorry about that. Anyways, analogy is about similarity and difference. Now, we're going to get at the analogy of being. The analogy of being is going to highlight certain similarities and certain differences. It's its own kind of analogy here. I mean, it's got relationships to other formal categories of analogy, but we'll skip that background and we'll just kind of highlight the similarities and highlight the differences. Again, this is for the idea of participation with this analogy of being. So let's look at the story here. Essay, the pure act of being, and all being spins out of this, comes out of this, exists out of this, and shares something with that pure being. Now, there has to be something different with beings and being itself. If there was no difference, then it would just be pure sameness, and we would be being itself. There would be no limits on us, just as there's no limits on on pure being. But I look at myself, I look at the world around me, I see all kinds of limits, and therefore I must decide and declare that, okay, there is real difference here. But there's also similarity. There's also similarity. And the reason why there's similarity is because I can look at pure being and I can say, okay, there's unity in pure being. It's not like there's parts of it. Over here is BE and over here is ING. That's not how pure being works. That's only the word. The pure being itself is just that one singular act. So there's unity. And I look at the things of the world. I am one. The book is one. The tree is one. The girl is one. The school bus is one. And so on. So there's unity. This is a similarity. Also, there's an act. Just as being is pure act, the pure act of being. So as I was describing earlier, you know, us the world of beings, each one of us beings stands out 
from non-existence, non-reality, and we do the act of being. So that's another similarity. It's an act of stepping out of nothingness. Thirdly, it's intelligible. It is intelligible. That pure act of being, it can be philosophically known. It can be philosophically known and investigated in and described. So it's intelligible. It's knowable. And I look around at the world. Um, maybe someone who's listening is a chemist or a biologist or a geologist or a psychologist or a blah, blah, blahist, whatever it is. You can know things. You can know things. If something exists, it can be known. It doesn't have to be known perfectly to be known, but it can be known. It is knowable. So it's another similarity. Fourthly, pure act is good. Pure act is good. It, uh, there's another little thing that I'll just mention here. It's a little principle. Goodness diffuses itself. Goodness diffuses itself. And we look at the pure being and it diffuses itself because we are here. We are beings that have spun out of the act of pure being. So being is good. Being is good. And we look around at the beings of this world and it is good. Um, goodness is what all things seek. And we have a tendency. It's part of our instinct. It's part of who we are as a being our instinct is to survive, to continue to live, to continue to be, to continue even to better ourselves in different ways. A tree betters itself by growing. A human betters itself by growing in all the different capacities that it has. And so everything that exists is good because it has a tendency to continue to exist. So unity, act, intelligible, and good, these are qualities that all things share in and participate in with the goodness. There are differences in the world, but there are also similarities. And these similarities have their source in the pure act of being. So the pure act of being, it, it somehow is actively causing all being to exist. And because effects share something of their cause. So all the beings of this world being effects have some share in the pure act of being, which is the cause here. Um, you know, just to give a little background to that principle, kids will look like their parents because there's something of the cause in every effect. You can also point to drawing or writing a book or some kind of artistic reality. There is something that you can learn about the author or the artist by looking at their work. You can know they're intelligent. You can know that they had a hand to write it. You can know that they had a mind to think it. You know, at the very basic, you can learn this. There is something of the writer in the book. There's something of the cause in the effect. So we see that with this pure act of being and all other forms of being it spins out and we also should recognize that we are being sustained by this pure act of being if there is no pure act of being then then we don't really have much of a chance to continue with our own little personal beings so let's kind of highlight some of these realities now um, we've talked about the similarities the similarities are 
there because of the causal relationship with with the pure act of being we have a dependence upon that pure act of being let me repeat that again because this is a big key part of analogy of not analogy of participation wherever you find participation there will be some form of dependence there will be half there has to be some sense of causing and dependence based on that cause so all beings depend upon the pure act of being i'm going to give some examples of participation later on here in just a moment but hang with me here so participation depends on a causal relationship a relationship where one being is dependent upon the other being secondly there is the similarity of the characteristic of the quality of the description we talked about those four qualities earlier those are called transcendental qualities they transcend just a particular being and they are shared by all of them that's why they're transcendental because they transcend any individual they they touch every being so they touch every being so we have a share in that but we don't have the same share in the pure act of being which is most pure perfect unity most pure purely act it is most purely intelligible it is most purely good and it is in the sense that it's it's unity itself it's act itself it's intelligibility itself it's goodness itself that's how pure it has it us you know we don't have that the same way we don't have that to such a degree and the reason is is because we have limitations we have pure being in us um but but only kind of like it's been excuse me we don't have pure being in us we have being we have being we don't have the pureness of being we have various limitations so we share in these transcendental qualities and perhaps other qualities as well but only in proportion and there can be various proportions an angel has a certain share in goodness a greater share in goodness than human beings but human beings have also greater share in goodness than than a tree and a tree has greater share in goodness than than a rock i would propose some might disagree if it's a really cool rock i don't know but there's different proportions of it and this is in proportion to their being but nonetheless the being owns that quality that characteristic it is truly one that tree that rock that human being that angel it is truly one even though it's kind of different there's different degrees of goodness but each one does have a true sense of goodness each one can be qualified as good it is their own proper characteristic all right all right complicated here so the analogy of being is one of participation the analogy of being is one of participation there are similarities and their differences so this is kind of the big summing up here before i give some examples the analogy of being is one of participation that is to say we have a dependence all beings have a dependence on the one true act of being but nonetheless we own all qualities that we have received from that one being though it is in proportion to our own being so for example 
Jesus Christ is the great high priest. I participate in his priesthood. I participate in his priesthood. That is to say that he has given it to me. He has caused it in me. All right, so there's a relationship of dependence. Secondly, it's I am a priest. I do say that I'm a priest because I do priestly things. I offer sacrifice and I forgive sins. But I only do that in proportion. There's the kind of the third dimension there. I only do that in proportion to which I share in Jesus. He's given me a particular portion of that share in his priesthood, which allows me to offer the sacrifice of the Mass, as well as to forgive sins. Um, I don't have such a proportion of his priesthood where I can make any sacrifice I want and have it be <laughs> sufficient. I don't have such a share in his priesthood where I can forgive sins without God's forgiveness, his power to forgive. Nope. I depend upon him. He is the one who is doing these acts through me. So I participate in his priesthood. Um, we can think of, oh, I had another example. What was that other example? Uh, theology is kind of rife with this idea of participation. It really, really is. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, a different one. Um, we can think of authority. Authority, okay? So you got a boss at your place, you know, the big CEO. Let's say you work at a huge company, and the CEO has authority. He has authority to make decisions, and he delegates that authority to various persons. And let's say your boss is the vice president. Uh, he's not the CEO. He takes orders from the CEO, and the CEO gave uh, has delegated particular authority to the vice president, and this vice president gives you particular authority over the team that you manage, let's say. And each one of these chains of authority gets weakened as you go along, but each participates in it. Your job depends on your vice president. Your vice president's job depends on the CEO. There is a causal relationship here. Uh, it is the the CEO's responsibility to ultimately, ultimately, to keep employees or to get rid of them. And so your presence there <laughs> depends on the CEO. But it also depends on the vice president because the vice president is sharing in that responsibility, uh, participating in that responsibility. So I've highlighted there is a relationship of dependence, of causality. There is also a true authority that each one of them has, they, your, your vice president boss can fire you. He doesn't have to go to the CEO. He has that authority. Okay. So, and you also have authority to let go of the people underneath you. You don't have to go to the CEO. You have a true share in this authority. You have a true participation in it. And yet, um, you're accountable. If you make a bad decision, <laughs> you're going to get fired. <laughs> so it's only in proportion. So it's you have a dependent relationship within this workplace. You have the authority there, but it's only a proportion of the authority. And the proportion changes as it kind of trickles down. So again, with that in mind now, let me re-describe this analogy of being. It's, it's a tricky concept. I know it is. There is the pure act of being. All being comes from it. All being shares in the qualities that the one true being has 
in various degrees, but truly, if you are a being, you are good, you are one, you are knowable, intelligible, and you are active. So, those are true properties that you have, but you only have them in proportion to the one true act of being. All right. All right. So that's a fair bit there where we've gone a long time here. So the pure act of being, this is kind of the next stage here. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of um, description of how we come from this eternal act of being and kind of give a sense of uh, what our own being is and why we have differences. So think of, I'm going to give you two examples. They're, they're both going to be bad, just to be frank. They're both going to be bad. Um, but when we're talking about things that don't have a body, and if we learn things by observation of things that are bodily, well, we're going to have to get at the, the truth of the reality through bad examples, <laughs> physical examples. Think of, let's see here, think of an ocean. That ocean is the pure act of being. And you have a cup in your hand, and you're going to make a being. Uh, and right now, it's just empty. There's no being inside of it. There's just a form. There's just a shape. Uh, this form or shape we can call the essence of a thing because it provides the limits of being. And what makes me different from you is that you are limited in one way, and I'm limited in another way. If I didn't have any limits, I would be God Almighty. I'd be pure being. But I don't. I have limits. And it's the limits that give us distinction. That's why I'm not a tree. That's why I'm not a deck of cards. That's why I'm not Mother Teresa. This is why I'm not a diamond. Because I have different limits than they do. And this is a way to describe this. You have a little cup in your hand. You scoop out from this pure act of being, this ocean of pure act of being, and you take some of that being and you have it in your cup. And this cup has being. It provides a particular shape to it. You could imagine you could fill a water balloon with it, which have a different shape. You could fill a vase with it and have it a different shape to it. You could fill a do, 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 a file cabinet with this act of pure being, and it would have its own limited form of being. And it gives shape to this. This is not a good example because the ocean has limits and the act of pure being doesn't have limits. It is also not a good example because it's physicality. Uh, and the act of pure being doesn't have physicality. Um, it's also... Uh, you'll notice the the conclusion from this is that when there is matter involved, when there's physical stuff involved, that already entails a limit of being. Because if I have matter, if I have a physical body, I already have a limitation of not being able to be across the street. I can't be in China. I can't be right there with you by your side right now because I have a physical body and it's not there. It's here. It's limited by time as well. So if something doesn't have these limits, if it's unlimited, well, it's not going to have a physical body. It will not be limited by time either. Uh, let's use a different example. Oh, I was going to say one final reason why it's a bad example is because the cup here is its own being. And you can't have being limit being. That's just, just kind of weird. No, it's just uh, you can't have like a, a shape of something that doesn't exist but giving form to something that does exist. I don't know if I'm making sense there, but follow me on this next example here. Just imagine if 
all of creation, from Mars to the farthest galaxy to your eyeball, everything was this pure ocean of being. It's not water, it's just pure, pure being, the pure act of being. Obviously, and we're falling again to the problem of physicality. Pure act of being doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have body. It doesn't have matter. It's an analogy. And this pure act of being, this eternal ocean, this endless, unlimited ocean of the pure act of being, uh, let's say it's it sloshes. It sloshes. And some of this pure act of being sloshes away somehow, mysteriously. And it freezes in midair. It freezes in midair. Well, check this out. It's going to have a particular shape. It's going to have limitations. It's not going to have the pure act of being. It's not going to have unlimited nature. It's going to be frozen like it is. And it doesn't have space that's limiting it. It just has this a limited amount of being. I like this analogy better, even though it's kind of still kind of weird. How, how can you have something slosh out when there's no space for something to slosh out into? And uh, if there's no air for it to be cold, I guess water can be cold. But anyways, so it's not a perfect example. But I think it really does kind of identify that there is a being that kind of comes forth from the pure act of being. And it, and it is, even though it has limitations. Um, another weakness of this example, however, is that the water must leave the ocean in order for it to freeze and therefore cause the ocean to diminish, even though maybe slightly. But for the pure act of being, as being comes forth from it, as my being comes forth from it, it does not diminish the pure act of being. It's still the pure act of being. Uh, so, you know, the analogies fail here. The analogies fail here. But we believe this. The pure act of being has no limits, no beginning, nor end, no, nor beginning. But creaturely beings do. There are always limits. If it didn't have limits, we would be unlimited and we would be the pure act of being. The nature of being a being is to be limited, to have beginnings, to have the what we call the limitations. There's actually a technical series of words. You can call it a form, the essence, the nature of a thing. It's actually our limitations that make us be what we are. Um, I have limited intelligence, but I have an intelligence. A dog has much more of a limited intelligence. It can't know things as I do. It can't love as I do. Uh, but it doesn't have the same limits as, of a squirrel. And a squirrel doesn't have the limits of a plant. And a plant doesn't have the limits of a rock. So more and more and more, there's all these different degrees of limitations. Um, you and me, you, know, you have the same intelligence I do. But your form... So your form and your nature is different except for the fact that it's composed not just of kind of a, a, the, the spiritual, kind of like the essence of who you are as a human being, but you are also composed with matter. Your body's not my body, even though your humanity is my humanity. That's kind of cool to think. Your humanity is my humanity because we share in the exact same limitation. The only unique thing about you and me is that not only are we limited by the form or the nature or the essence of being a human, but we're also limited by the particular matter in which our, our humanity exists. I am me, not you, even though we're both humans.
So, take that for what it is there. We're getting closer to the end here. We're getting closer to the end. I want to highlight some implications of this. This is pretty much at the end here. And these are really neat. We are all connected. We are all connected in being. This is the first implication I really, really want to highlight. We are all connected in being. You know, the whole world shares existence in different degrees, in different ways, in different qualities, but some of these qualities are universal, that is to say, transcendental. We all are part of a, you know, family is not the right word because it has a kind of different connotation, but we're all part of the common existence. Uh, my being makes up a part of all of existence, even though I'm not the pure act of being, uh, though I make up the full realm of existence. So that's the first implication. Isn't that just neat? We are all connected. I am connected by sharing this being. Secondly, it clarifies the basis of our relationship with God. There's certainly more to it, but it clarifies the basis of our relationship with God, who is the pure act of being. I am who am. I is who I is. I is who is. I am all being. You know, a bazillion different ways you could probably phrase that. It's kind of hard to get at that. But I am who am. And we share in that. I, Sean O'Brien, am me. That which is. Sean O'Brien is that which is Sean O'Brien, you know. <laughs> so uh, I am a being. And I share in this relationship with God because I share in some qualities of him. The unity, the activity, the intelligibility, the goodness. But then other things as well. There's more to it as well, which is kind of neat. Um, so we have this relationship with God. We have this dependent relationship with God. We share in the qualities of God, even though the qualities are to be purely found inside of us as well. They are proper to who we are. So that's a basis of our relationship with God. Uh, thirdly, we kind of get an insight of the greatness of the dignity of spirit over matter. Spirit does not have the limitation of body. Therefore, it's more, excuse me, I guess maybe it's more unlimited. You can't, I don't know if you can be more unlimited because if you don't have limits, that's the only way you can be unlimited. And angels do have limits, but their, their limits are not physical. Their limits are in accordance with their essence, their nature, their form, which is kind of unique. If they don't have bodies to separate from each other, and doesn't that just leave them with pure sameness? But if they were just pure sameness, then wouldn't they be the same species? Wouldn't they be the same, <laughs> all species be the same angel itself? So Thomas Aquinas will highlight the fact that, hey, guess what? All angels they have their own unique form, their unique nature, their unique essence. If they did not, then they would be the one and the same. But if there were going to be multiple things of the one and the same, they would have to have bodies. They don't have bodies, therefore they can't be one and the same, therefore they must be different of body, excuse me, of essence, nature, form, whatever you want to call it. But they have less limitations than we humans do. So they're greater. So there's a hierarchy. We learn a hierarchy of things. 
Okay, very good. Pretty good, very good, very good. I'm trying to think here if I need to add anything else. Um, I don't think so. I think we kind of got it all here, but there's just a lot, a lot of... It's super abstract. I hope I did a good job of explaining it. Uh, next time, it'll be much more fun. I think the next round will be one on causes, and uh, it'll be kind of cool. We can use some pretty practical examples and see how it makes a, an impact on our theological understanding of the universe and philosophical understanding of the universe. And after that, we'll be primed to look at some of these arguments for the existence of God. Like I mentioned in this episode, you might already be intuiting some of these um at least one basic one if everything has a cause well there must be something that caused it has no cause otherwise it's just kind of an endless series of causes but anyways we're going to get into that later on so peace be with you share this with a friend if you find it to be helpful hopefully this did not just overwhelm you tune in next time for a more simple round of deep dives with father son the super catholic catechesis podcast may god bless you all father son holy spirit amen hallelujah this is a postscript, a little P.S., a little, by the way, I forgot to include something. I finished recording the episode, and I realized mm, it's really a long episode, tough to get. I don't really want to add anything more, but I feel like it would help the flow of everything. So I include a few initial comments here, even though I'm inserting it after the fact. There are three principles I want to begin with that I did not begin with originally, but here they are. The first principle is the principle of non-contradiction, which says that nothing can both be and not be at the same time in the same respect. The principle of non-contradiction says nothing can both be and not be at the same time in the same respect. So that's kind of like saying, I can't be sitting in this chair and sitting at my sofa at home. It's impossible. It's, it's contradictory. And there's just a principle of existence that things can't contradict. <laughs> okay, so I can't sit here and I can't sit there at the same time. Now I could do one, I could sit here now and uh, sit at my sofa later on tonight. That'd be okay. But I can't do it at the same time. Um, and we can't do things, or, you know, we can't mean different, you know, so there's some words that are the same, but they are different in their respect in the way that they are. So, for example, um, uh, I have a bank, I have a bank, and I don't have a bank. Well, what does that mean? Well, maybe you're someone who you got a little land and you got a little river that runs through it or a creek or something like that. Well, you have a bank of a river at your house. You have a bank. But you can also say you don't have a bank because you don't own, you know, First National Bank of little wherever. You know, it's not your bank. You don't own it. Someone else has that. You own the bank of a river. You don't own the bank with a bunch of cash in it. And so this is another example of... Uh, highlighting a distinction on this uh, nothing can be and not be at the same time in the same respect this statement that i just said cannot be true and not true in the same respect it can be true in this respect i do own a riverbank but it's not true in this respect i do own 
a money bank. They're two different things. So this is a simple, simple principle, really. Principle of non-contradiction. You know, you can't prove this. You can't do, well, x plus y equals z. Therefore, the principle of non-contradiction must be true. It is just something that you have to intuit. You know, there's some of these, these basic things that if you disagree with, you're just a crazy person. Your life doesn't make sense. The world won't make sense to you. You will not be able to dialogue and discourse with people at all. The second principle is the principle of sufficient reason. The principle of sufficient reason. This says that every being has sufficient reason for its existence, either in itself or in another. That is to say, every being depends on another being or is self-sufficient. So let me repeat it again. Principle of self of excuse me. The principle of sufficient reason is that every being has a sufficient reason for its existence, either in itself or in another. So, for example, I don't have the sufficient reason for my own existence in myself. Why do I say that? Because my parents gave birth to me. And where do they come? Well, their parents gave birth to them, my grandparents, and all the way up back to the family line to the very first human beings. And where do they come from? We don't know the all the nuances of that. We do know that the church gives us the limit that the soul was infused into the human body by God. That was unique. So he is the sufficient reason for our soul. But the church allows a little wiggle room for different theories of how our body came to be. That's not the conversation here today. But the reality is everything has to have a sufficient reason in itself or another. My desk came from somewhere. My computer came from somewhere. The parts of my computer came from somewhere. The raw materials came from somewhere. Uh, you know, even in the earth where you're found, they're found, you know, the, the gypsum or the gold or the whatever it is, you know, that came from somewhere. There were some geological processes and those geological processes were put into work when the earth was formed and the earth came from somewhere. We can theorize there was a big bang, bang, bang I don't know. But if there was a big bang, then we would also have to say, well, there must be a sufficient reason for the Big Bang. There, it must have come from somewhere. It was either self-sufficient, it either did it itself, it didn't depend on another, or it did. And we can generally look back and say, hey, look, the only thing that is really self-sufficient, the only thing that is its own cause is, is God. The third principle that I want to highlight as a little uh, intrusion of a, of a comment here is the principle of causality. This says that any being that does not contain the sufficient reason for its own existence within itself requires a cause. Requires a cause. So this is kind of what I've been saying. My parents caused me. My parents caused me. My grandparents caused my parents. This is what we call a cause. If something does not depend on itself in every sense, then there is a cause involved. There is a cause involved. You know, being can't come from non-being. You know, causes are just, we don't see effects in the world that just pop out of the blue without any causing. You know, life would be chaos. Life would be chaos. Like, all of a sudden the boogeyman existed because no one caused it, just because it, it popped into existence randomly. All of a sudden a unicorn prances by not because the unicorn had parents uh, that, and those parents had grandparents. Nope, 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 nope. You know, there has to be a real, 
actual cause. The next episode, we'll get into causality in more detail because it's actually going to make a big difference for us, um, especially as we try to understand how we can how we can see God's presence in the world and even come to a a claim based on the observation of the world that God is real. And so we can we can look at the world and make some of these arguments for God's existence, but causality will be a key thing. So that's the next episode. So again, the principle of causality is any being that does not contain the sufficient reason for its own existence within itself requires a cause. You know, it's pretty basic actually. If you can't cause yourself, then you gotta have someone else cause you. <laughs> you are an effect unless you are not an effect. And if you're an effect, that means you have a cause. All right, and back to the normal episode. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the Church are also intense moments of catechesis. What the heck is catechesis? Well, catechesis isn't just filling our brains with stuff. It's, it's about more uh, fully receiving the life of Christ inside of us. And, you know, so often when we learn things, we kind of learn how to open up our hearts more. We learn how to open up our minds more. We can learn how to open up the, the various dimensions of our life to receive that life of God. Today, it's kind of a, you know, I mean, normally we're thinking of theology when we're doing that, but also we want to explore everything that God created and the world that he created is is knowable. It's intelligible. And we're going to talk about that later on today, just a smidge. But the, we're going to use the philosophical reasoning to come to a better understanding of what God has created, the universe that he has made, the underpinnings of of existence itself. <laughs> uh, that's that's the goal of today. This is the goal of the whole episode, not the whole episode, the series here on philosophy. Um, but I think it's super relevant. I think it's relevant in a number of different ways. And, um, you know, each time, you know, I don't know if you need to know about Plato's Republic, but I think it's just kind of neat. And I think it's also kind of helpful to recognize that the ideas that continue to influence us today they have a background. There is a, a whole story behind it where we don't just think in a vacuum. We think based, based on a, a whole, you know, tradition of thought. You know, please God, our thinking processes are formed by, by Jesus Christ and the tradition that he has established. But even beyond that, he, our thinking processes definitely have, have influence today. You know, I think of... Uh, I mentioned Plato, his Republic, kind of an early form of communism, strange to say, but it kind of was. And, uh, you know, communism is still affecting our world, so you know, we should not be clueless about that. It has roots, it has its, its background. But also we believe in spiritual realities. And Plato was the first one to kind of really hone in on that. Uh, not, not exclusively, but majorly. Uh, Pythagoras was also kind of beginning to abstract beyond the physical worlds, but more with a greater focus on math and maybe even music to some degree. So 
these thoughts of the past continue to affect us, the, and, and we should be deeply desiring a love of wisdom. That's the meaning of philosophy. And for us Catholics, we have a, a special love of, of wisdom. Wisdom is, is this eternal pouring out of, of understanding to the world and knowing how we relate to the world and knowing how to move forward in the world, the world that God has created. And so this is our, this is our, our love. You know, we talked about these pre-Socratics, uh, those who came before Socrates, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on. They yeah, had the big question that they were hunting down. What's at the base of existence? Socrates was a great person who embodied philosophy, and he, as he went around, bothering people with his various questions, trying to shoot down bad ideas. You don't make friends if your goal in life is to shoot down people's bad ideas. <laughs> it's good to do, but uh, if that's the only thing you're doing, and if you don't really have tact, well, they're going to hate you. In Socrates' case, they're going to kill you. Poor guy. We got into Plato, we got into Aristotle, some of their thoughts and thinking we're still going to touch on in the future, today even. And and just to give you an idea of kind of where we're aiming in this series here, this is going to be on metaphysics, the, the study of being itself. Uh, next time it will be a focus on causing, a cause and effect. And you'll be surprised to recognize how significant this is. And then these two are actually going to be, you know, they stand alone in their own goodness and in their own right. But they also give us a particular benefit in looking forward to the one that will follow that, which will be uh, a summary of various arguments for the existence of God, the existence of God. And then after that, we kind of want to know the world that he created, especially our role in, in the world of creation. So we want to look at the human being. And we're going to spend ample time looking at the human person from a philosophical perspective. That is to say to understand humanity from the aid of of natural reason not experimentation not you know the anatomical feature which is a deeper observation um, but but just kind of thinking about some things that we don't often think about i think it's very very important all right well let's just dive on in with prayer here and oh i'll give you a heads up here as you probably noticed as you were clicking the play button this could be a little longer episode. I don't know for sure, but I'm suspecting it will be. But I, it does have deep material, but I think it can be explained in a fairly reasonable way. And so I want to just give a little extra time so that it is easier. <laughs> it is easier, you know. All right, let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, dearest eternal Son of God and blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you for your community of love, your eternal outpouring of love into each other, uh, and then in time, your outpouring of love into us. We thank you so much, and we ask that you open up our minds and hearts so that we can benefit from this teaching here, that we may be wiser, and not just wiser, but even have that deeper love of wisdom, true philosophers. May we have our hearts and minds ready and primed today for whatever you bring us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So I want to mention briefly a little, just to highlight a few things that were coming from Plato. Plato talked about the realm of the forms. And these forms 
uh, are the most truest of all reality. And somehow they drip into the nothingness of, <laughs> of nothing <laughs> and become images. And so the form of goodness becomes some kind of a visible reality as it, as it uh, drips down into our world, as, as these visible forms are being stimulated into existence. So we have good things here. And these, so this is the first thing, that there, he proposes that there are intangible, eternal, spiritual realities. He calls them forms. You can call them whatever you want. And there's maybe different things. You, we could say they're angels. We could say they're ideas. We could say they're God himself. So that's a big deal to, that he points to those things. And then this, this connection with the things of this world, with the, with the realm of the forms, he calls that participation. That's also really significant. That's really key. We're going to get into that later on. So you don't have to understand it perfectly right now, but we're going to get into that a little bit more. So these, these are two key contributions that he offers to us uh, specifically for this, this deep dive that we're doing here now. Aristotle comes along. Remember, he's the student, a student of Plato, just as Plato was a student of Socrates. Aristotle just writes an incredible amount, and it's all in intense detail. Intense detail. Oh, it's so tedious. <laughs> you pick up a book of Aristotle, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy was way smarter than I'll ever be, than I could ever imagine I could be, or that I ever could imagine anyone could be. So one of those was a book on physics, about how objects relate with each other, how they bump into each other, how they cause and effect you know, with each other. And then he decides that with this study of the physical things that are seen, he's going to now address the question that the pre-Socratics, the philosophers before Socrates addressed, as I had mentioned, what is the world made of? What is the source of it all? What's at the base of it? Is it water? Is it atoms? Is it nothing? Is it change? They had all proposed, or some that all of these were proposed by these pre-Socratics. And Aristotle looks into this with really deep insight, uh, really, really deep insight. So this study is what we call metaphysics. The word meta just means after or beyond. So you might already see where this comes from. It's the study done after physics in the big compilation of Aristotle's works. They were kind of put into order. And there was physics, and then there was a study of being. And because the study of being was after physics, they just called it after physics or metaphysics. <laughs> so it really doesn't mean anything in that sense. Uh, or maybe, you know, you can read into it a little bit more and say it's beyond physics. It looks beyond the things of this world to get at the thing of existence, the, the nature of existence itself. So Thomas Aquinas comes along like 1,500 years later. And I'm not going to say there were not any philosophers that brought deeper nuance to this. Certainly uh, one of the disciples of Plato was really significant. His name was Plotinus. He started up the Neoplatonic movement, uh, Neoplatonism, which did have a great influence on the early church fathers. It really, really did. Uh, Augustine drew from him heavily. I think he said that there's... All the truths of philosophy that we need are found in Neoplatonism. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, it was a significant thing. Um, 
And I think Augustine himself would call himself a Christian Neoplatonist. Uh, before he was Christian, he believed in Neoplatonism philosophy. He believed in a lot of other things beforehand as well, but this is one of the better things. And it was perfected in Jesus Christ. Now, in the years, you know, 1,200s, St. Thomas Aquinas comes along and he rediscovers. Now, he doesn't rediscover, but... Aristotle was kind of re, re, more recently at that time discovered uh, from the influence that is more recently had with the, with the Arabic people, Muslim people there. And they bring in Aristotle, uh, St. Albert the Great, Thomas's own teacher, was profiting from the rediscovery of, of Aristotle. And Thomas Aquinas profited from him the most. And he did a deep, deep, deep dive into Aristotle. Comments. He, off, he wrote commentaries on the works of Aristotle and just absorbed it very much. And he came to agree with Aristotle that the very, the very, the very base of existence is existence itself. It's, it's being. It's being. It's this that stands out from non-being. Um, and Aristotle taught that. Thomas Aquinas taught that. Now, Thomas Aquinas will add a whole different reality. Not a whole different reality, but he'll give a nuance to this, which will be game-changing. And he will do a study on being that proposes that being is first and foremost active, or rather it's an act. It's a verb. It's, it's a doing. It's a being. It's an actively standing out of existence. It's not just like things existed and then and then there's nothing else that was being no it's it was it's a continual act it's just as uh you can push a pedal and call it riding a bike but if you're going to be on a bike moving forward then you have to be riding the bike and this is kind of what saint thomas aquinas was saying if you are going to be a being moving into the future then you have to continually do this basic act of being. <laughs> you have to be continuously in the future, which is an act, which is an act. If it wasn't an act, you would flash into existence and you would flash away. Uh, it would be one act. And it, but he's saying, no, it's a continual acting. Being itself is an act. Being itself is an act. So it's kind of crazy. There's a fancy word that he gives to this essay. He's writing in Latin. E-S-S-E. It's the act of being. It's the being of a being. It's the act of being. So, let's define this. Define this various things. A being. What the heck is a being? You kinda, we kind of get a sense of what a being is already. A being is an individual existence. It is a one thing that exists. That which is. And so in this phrase, that which is, a being is the that part. And which is, is just describing what it's doing. It's, it is that which is. It's the that. Uh, a being is that which is. So, the girl that is, well, the being here would be girl. The school bus that is, again, the being here would be the school bus. It is the, the thing. 
I don't want to use the word a thing because we can think of like angels, you know, they don't have material, um, but nonetheless, they exist, don't they? They don't have bodies. Nonetheless, they exist. So it is an, an individual existence. That's what I mean by a being, not being, but a being, a particular instance of being. Now, there's a second part of that definition, that which is, that is, is, is describing that act of standing out of non-existence or non-being to be the girl that is, is, is what she's doing. Among other things, perhaps, she could be combing her hair, but she is, she stands out of reality. Uh, she stands out of, or I guess non-reality, excuse me, and she bus forth on the scene of existence. The school bus is. It it stands out from a world that doesn't exist, the world of nothingness. And it it is. You can see it. You can ride in it. You can drive it. You can crash it. You can give it wings and it can fly, maybe. <laughs> but this is this is a key thing. So we're talking about a being versus being. A being is the individual existence and being is is either what it's doing or it's the composition of all being in the world. We can also consider the totality of existence, you know, the universe, the whole enchilada. You know, let's let's not ignore that as well. That is that's a key part of what we're talking about here. And then there is the being of a being. You know, this is the that not the that part, but the which is. It's the being. The act of being. It's what all of us do. And it's an action. A baby is. It exists. It exists before it cries. It exists before it eats. It exists before it poops. It exists before it grows. It exists before it thinks. It exists before it falls into love and so on. But the very basis of its, of its actions is, of, is existing. It's the act of being. And it has to do this all the way through. It doesn't just come into being and boom, the act is done. I'm kind of repeating myself here now. It's not just the beginning of its existence, but it continues in that being, okay? So this idea of being is what is common to all beings. What we see in everything that is, is isness, is being. Everything that bees is being. <laughs> everything that is, is, is doing this act of being. And Let's think about it more broadly. You know, a tree has its own being. A sponge has its own being. A bubble has its own being. The sky and the clouds and the stars have their own being. This is cool. This is really neat. An intellectual reality has a being, but also non-intellectual non beings have their being. And nonetheless, we can say that this reality of being is shared by all of these things. And it all comes from somewhere. And if being is a pure, pure act, we can imagine what the pureness of that act would be. If there were no limitations on being, if it was just being itself, this essay, this is what we would see is, if it had no limits, well, it could create everything. If it had no limits, it would know everything. If it had no limits, you know, it would be be everywhere at the same time. And this is essay, pure, 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 pure existence. You know, it's another 
philosophical rabbit hole that would be worthy going down to go through the very characteristics of that being. We're going to go through some of the basic ones that are shared by all being, but, but we can look at this. Now, I want to connect this with a piece of revelation here. When Moses sees the burning bush, think about what he hears. Who does God say that he is? What does this voice claim that its name is? I am who am. I am who am. It's kind of like saying, I'm being itself. I am... I am who I am. I am beingness. It's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> yes, you know, wrap your mind around that. You know, there's all kinds of different difficulties in translating that, that word that we have. But I am who am is the one who is. He is who he is. There's not an essence that is different than his being. It, the, the description of who he is is just pure being. Whoa. He does not have limits. His existence is pure existence. It's pure being. How cool is that? So, you know, we could go into different philosophical explanations of, of different things, blah, 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 blah. But I'm now going to draw a relationship between pure existence, essay, the pure act of being, like the pure, pure act of being, uninhibited, unlimited the pure act of being and the beings that we see in this world there is a relationship because we have to have our being from somewhere uh, there has to be anything that exists has to has a has to have a cause right unless it's its own cause but that's kind of weird <laughs> you know i did not cause myself to exist i had parents you know that tree right there that i'm looking at it did not cause itself to exist it had a parent tree the building that i'm in now it had builders Everything, everything, everything had a being uh, that from which it came from. You know, we can even trace everything back to the Big Bang, you know, theoretically. And then we have to ask the question, okay, well, where did the Big Bang come from? It itself is not a moment of creation. That's just silly and ridiculous. It had to have a source. It had to be a Big, big Banger, if you'll excuse kind of the dumb thing to say. <laughs> had to be, had to be someone... Or something to do the Big Bang. Well, that is pure existence. This is the source of it all. Maybe you're already seeing how this might connect connect in making an argument for the existence of God. I don't want to do that explicitly now. But you quite likely, maybe, are able to be able to see how this works here. So, pure being. All being must come from that pure being. It must have its source in something that itself is not a cause. And so all being, whether, you know, all being has a relationship with the pure being, essay. <clears throat> and this means a couple different things. You know, the tradition, we're going to get it now at the idea of participation. This is the relationship that we can describe. And we're going to use the idea of analogy to describe this. Analogy is a way of speaking to show similarity and difference. Uh, here's an analogy. The girl plowed through the crowd like a school bus. Sorry for the violent analogy. There's a difference and a similarity in every analogy. That's what makes an analogy 
unique. It's not just saying the difference is absolute. There are no similarities here. If that was the case, uh, well, it wouldn't fit our mind because our mind can only absorb things that are intelligible and all being as we are is, is intelligible, it's knowable. And so if it's something is different than us, totally different from us, well, it's not going to be knowable. <laughs> I mean, they can't know it. So uh, it's not pure difference, nor is it pure similarity. If it was pure similarity, that's to say if it's the sameness, like 100% the sameness, it will be me or it will be the thing that I describe. Um, that picture frame is that picture frame. Okay, that's really not adding anything. You don't really get any insight into that. But you can say that picture frame is is round. That picture frame is square. Uh, or more better, if you want to get an analogy, the, um, that picture frame is as square as as a window. Okay, there you go. Windows are square. The, uh, the picture frame is square. Uh, the picture frame is not the window, and the window is not square. There's a similarity because they're both square, but there's a difference between one is not the other. Or you could say, hey, that picture frame is as square as my cousin. <laughs> square, you know, if you use kind of this 80s language, I think they use that more in, back in the day to kind of say someone is boring. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a way to say that someone just doesn't stand out. I really don't remember. Anyways, um, but use this analogy here. Okay. Picture frame, it has these square corners just like my cousin. Now, there's a bigger difference than picture frame and window here, but there's still a similarity. Uh, there's still a similarity. Whether being square as a human being means you're boring, well, well there's just kind of, he's kind of a cookie cutter and a very simple cookie cutter. There's nothing interesting about him, just like that picture frame is square. There's nothing interesting about him. If to be square as a human being means that you kind of stand out of the mold, and let's say the mold is, is round, then then you are like that picture frame, which is not round either. You know, there's it's something uh, different than other picture frames, just like my cousin who is square is different than others. <laughs> I should have looked that up beforehand. Sorry about that. Anyways, analogy is about similarity and difference. Now, we're going to get at the analogy of being. The analogy of being is going to highlight certain similarities and certain differences. It's its own kind of analogy here. I mean, it's got relationships to other formal categories of analogy, but we'll skip that background and we'll just kind of highlight the similarities and highlight the differences. Again, this is for the idea of participation with this analogy of being. So let's look at the story here. Essay, the pure act of being, and all being spins out of this, comes out of this, exists out of this, and shares something with that pure being. Now, there has to be something different with beings and being itself. If there was no difference, then it would just be pure sameness, and we would be being itself. There would be no limits on us, just as there's no limits on on pure being. But I look at myself, I look at the world around me, I see all kinds of limits, and therefore I must decide and declare that, okay, there is real difference here. But there's also similarity. There's also similarity. 
And the reason why there's similarity is because I can look at pure being and I can say, okay, there's unity in pure being. It's not like there's parts of it. Over here is B-E and over here is I-N-G. That's not how pure being works. That's only the word. The pure being itself is just that one singular act. So there's unity. And I look at the things of the world. I am one. The book is one. The tree is one. The girl is one. The school bus is one. And so on. So there's unity. This is a similarity. Also, there's an act. Just as being is pure act, the pure act of being. So as I was describing earlier, you know, us the world of beings, each one of us beings stands out from non-existence, non-reality, and we do the act of being. So that's another similarity. It's an act of stepping out of nothingness. Thirdly, it's intelligible. It is intelligible. That pure act of being, it can be philosophically known. It can be philosophically known and investigated in and described. So it's intelligible, it's knowable. And I look around at the world, um, maybe someone who's listening is a chemist or a biologist or a geologist or a psychologist or a blah, blah, blahist, whatever it is. You can know things, you can know things. If something exists, it can be known. It doesn't have to be known perfectly to be known, but it can be known, it is knowable. So it's another similarity. Fourthly, pure act is good. Pure act is good. It uh, There's another little thing that I'll just mention here. It's a little principle. Goodness diffuses itself. Goodness diffuses itself. And we look at the pure being and it diffuses itself because we are here. We are beings that have spun out of the act of pure being. So being is good. Being is good. And we look around at the beings of this world and it is good. Um, goodness is what all things seek and we have a tendency it's part of our instinct it's part of who we are as a being our instinct is to survive to continue to live to continue to be to continue even to better ourselves in different ways a tree betters itself by growing a human betters itself by growing in all the different capacities that it has and so everything that exists is good because it has a tendency to continue to exist. So unity, act, intelligible, and good. These are qualities that all things share in and participate in with the goodness. There are differences in the world, but there are also similarities. And these similarities have their source in the pure act of being. So the pure act of being, it, it somehow is actively causing all being to exist. And because effects share something of their cause, so all the beings of this world being effects have some share in the pure act of being, which is the cause here. Um, you know, just to give a little background to that principle, kids will look like their parents because... There's something of the cause in every effect. You can also point to drawing or writing a book or some kind of artistic reality. There is something that you can learn about the author or the artist by looking at their work. You can know their intelligence. You can know that they had a hand to write it. You can know that they had a mind to think it. You know, at the very basic, you can learn this. There is something 
of the writer in the book. There's something of the cause in the effect. So we see that with this pure act of being and all other forms of being. And it spins out. And we also should recognize that we are being sustained by this pure act of being. If there is no pure act of being, then, then we don't really have much of a chance to continue with our own little personal beings. So let's kind of highlight some of these realities now. Um, we've talked about the similarities. The similarities are there because of the causal relationship with with the pure act of being. We have a dependence upon that pure act of being. Let me repeat that again, because this is a big key part of analogy, of, not analogy, of participation. Wherever you find participation, there will be some form of dependence. There, will be half, there has to be some sense of causing and dependence based on that cause. So all beings depend upon the pure act of being. I'm going to give some examples of participation later on here in just a moment. But hang with me here. So participation depends on a causal relationship, a relationship where one being is dependent upon the other being. Secondly, there is the similarity of the characteristic, of the quality, of the description. We talked about those four qualities earlier. Those are called transcendental qualities. They transcend just a particular being and they are shared by all of them. That's why they're transcendental because they transcend any individual. They, they touch every being. So they touch every being. So we have a share in that. But we don't have the same share in the pure act of being, which is most pure, perfect unity, most pure purely act. It is most purely intelligible. It is most purely good. And it is in the sense that it's it's unity itself. It's act itself. It's intelligibility itself. It's goodness itself. That's how pure it has it. Us, you know, we don't have that the same way. We don't have that to such a degree. And the reason is, is because we have limitations. We have pure being in us, um, but, but only kind of like it's been, excuse me, we don't have pure being in us. We have being. We have being. We don't have the pureness of being. We have various limitations. So we share in these transcendental qualities and perhaps other qualities as well, but only in proportion. And there can be various proportions. An angel has a certain share in goodness, a greater share in goodness than human beings. But human beings have also greater share in goodness than than a tree. And a tree has greater share in goodness than, than a rock, I would propose. Some might disagree. If it's a really cool rock, I don't know. But there's different proportions of it. And this is in proportion to their being. But nonetheless, the being owns that quality, that characteristic. It is truly one, that tree, that rock, that human being. That angel, it is truly one, even though it's kind of different. There's different degrees of goodness, but each one does have a true sense of goodness. Each one can be qualified as good. It is their own proper characteristic. All right, all right, complicated here. So the analogy of being is one of participation. 
The analogy of being is one of participation. There are similarities and their differences. So this is kind of the big summing up here before I give some examples. The analogy of being is one of participation. That is to say, we have a dependence, all beings have a dependence on the one true act of being, but nonetheless we own all qualities that we have received from that one being, though it is in proportion to our own being. So, for example, Jesus Christ is the great high priest. I participate in his priesthood. I participate in his priesthood. That is to say that he has given it to me. He has caused it in me. All right, so there's a relationship of dependence. Secondly, it's I am a priest. I do say that I'm a priest because I do priestly things. I offer sacrifice and I forgive sins. But I only do that in proportion, there's the kind of the third dimension there, I only do that in proportion to which I share in Jesus. He's given me a particular portion of that share in his priesthood, which allows me to offer the sacrifice of the Mass, as well as to forgive sins. Um, I don't have such a proportion of his priesthood where I can make any sacrifice I want and have it be <laughs> sufficient. I don't have such a share in his priesthood where I can forgive sins without God's forgiveness, his power to forgive. Nope. I depend upon him. He is the one who is doing these acts through me. So I participate in his priesthood. Um, we can think of, oh, I had another example. What was that other example? Uh, theology is kind of rife with this idea of participation. It really, really is. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, a different one. Um, we can think of authority, authority. Okay. So you got a boss at your place, you know, the big CEO, let's say you work at a huge company and the CEO has authority. He has authority to make decisions and he delegates that authority to various persons. And let's say your boss is the vice president. Uh, he's not the CEO. He takes orders from the CEO and the CEO gave, uh, has delegated particular authority to the vice president and this vice president gives you particular authority over the team that you manage let's say and each one of these chains of authority gets weakened as you go along but each participates in it your job depends on your vice president your vice president's job depends on the ceo there is a causal relationship here uh, it is the the CEO's responsibility to ultimately, ultimately, to keep employees or to get rid of them. And so your presence there <laughs> depends on the CEO. But it also depends on the vice president because the vice president is sharing in that responsibility, uh, participating in that responsibility. So I've highlighted there is a relationship of dependence, of causality. There is also a true authority that each one of them has, they, your, your vice president boss can fire you. He doesn't have to go to the CEO. He has that authority. Okay. So, and you also have authority to let go of the people underneath you. You don't have to go to the CEO. You have a true share in this authority. You have a true participation in it. And yet 
um, you're accountable. If you make a bad decision, <laughs> you're going to get fired. <laughs> so it's only in proportion. So it's you have a dependent relationship within this workplace. You have the authority there, but it's only a proportion of the authority. And the proportion changes as it kind of trickles down. So again, with that in mind now, let me re-describe this analogy of being. It's, it's a tricky concept. I know it is. There is the pure act of being. All being comes from it. All being shares in the qualities that the one true being has in various degrees. But truly, if you are a being, you are good, you are one, you are knowable, intelligible, and you are active. So... Those are true properties that you have, but you only have them in proportion to the one true act of being. All right. All right. So that's a fair bit there where we've gone a long time here. So the pure act of being, this is kind of the next stage here. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of um, description of how we come from this eternal act of being and kind of give a sense of uh, what our own being is and why we have differences. So think of, I'm going to give you two examples. They're, they're both going to be bad, just to be frank. They're both going to be bad. Um, but when we're talking about things that don't have a body and if we learn things by observation of things that are bodily, well, we're going to have to get at the, the truth of the reality through bad examples, <laughs> physical examples. Think of, let's see here, think of an ocean. That ocean is the pure act of being. And you have a cup in your hand, and you're going to make a being. Uh, and right now it's just empty. There's no being inside of it. There's just a form. There's just a shape. Uh, this form or shape we can call the essence of a thing because it provides the limits of being. And what makes me different from you is that you are limited in one way and I'm limited in another way. If I didn't have any limits, I would be God Almighty. I'd be pure being. But I don't. I have limits. And it's the limits that give us distinction. That's why I'm not a tree. That's why I'm not a deck of cards. That's why I'm not Mother Teresa. This is why I'm not a diamond. Because I have different limits than they do. And this is a way to describe this. You have a little cup in your hand. You scoop out from this pure act of being, this ocean of pure act of being, and you take some of that being and you have it in your cup. And this cup has being. It provides a particular shape to it. You could imagine you could fill a water balloon with it, which have a different shape. You could fill a vase with it and have it a different shape to it. You could fill a, do, 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 a file cabinet with this act of pure being and it would have its own limited form of being. And it gives shape to this. This is not a good example because the ocean has limits and the act of pure being doesn't have limits. It is also not a good example because it's physicality. Uh, and the act of pure being doesn't have physicality. Um, it's also, uh, you'll notice the, the conclusion from this is that when there is matter involved, when there's physical stuff involved, that already entails a limit of being because if I have matter, if I have a physical body, I already have a limitation of not being able to be across the street. I can't be in China. I can't be right there with you by your side right now because I have a physical body and it's not there. It's here. It's limited by time as well. 
So if something doesn't have these limits, if it's unlimited, well, it's not going to have a physical body. It will not be limited by time either. Uh, let's use a different example. Oh, I was going to say one final reason why it's a bad example is because the cup here is its own being. And you can't have being limit being. That's just, just kind of weird. No, it's just, uh, you can't have like a, a shape of something that doesn't exist, but giving form to something that does exist. I don't know if I'm making sense there, but follow me on this next example here. Just imagine if all of creation, from Mars to the farthest galaxy to your eyeball, everything was this pure ocean of being. It's not water, it's just pure pure being, the pure act of being. Obviously, and we're falling again to the problem of physicality. Pure act of being doesn't have uh, it doesn't have body. It doesn't have matter. It's an analogy. And this pure act of being, this eternal ocean, this endless, unlimited ocean of the pure act of being, uh, let's say it's it sloshes. It sloshes and some of this pure act of being sloshes away somehow mysteriously and it freezes in midair it freezes in midair well check this out it's going to have a particular shape it's going to have limitations it's not going to have the pure act of being it's not going to have unlimited nature it's going to be frozen like it is and it doesn't have space that's limiting it it just has this a limited amount of being I like this analogy better, even though it's kind of still kind of weird. How, how can you have something slosh out when there's no space for something to slosh out into? And uh, if there's no air for it to be cold, I guess water can be cold. But anyways, so it's not a perfect example. But I think it really does kind of identify that there is a being that kind of comes forth from the pure act of being. And it, and it is, even though it has limitations. Um, another weakness of this example, however, is that the water must leave the ocean in order for it to freeze and therefore cause the ocean to diminish, even though maybe slightly. But for the pure act of being, as being comes forth from it, as my being comes forth from it, it does not diminish the pure act of being. It's still the pure act of being. Uh, so, you know, the analogies fail here. The analogies fail here. But we believe this. The pure act of being has... No limits, no beginning, nor end, no, nor beginning. But creaturely beings do. There are always limits. If it didn't have limits, we would be unlimited and we would be the pure act of being. The nature of being a being is to be limited, to have beginnings, to have the what we call the limitations. There's actually a technical series of words. You can call it a form, the essence, the nature of a thing. It's actually our limitations that make us be what we are. Um, I have limited intelligence, but I have an intelligence. A dog has much more of a limited intelligence. It can't know things as I do. It can't love as I do. Uh, but it doesn't have the same limits of, of a squirrel. And a squirrel doesn't have the limits of a plant. And a plant doesn't have the limits of a rock. So more and more and more, there's all these different degrees of limitations. Um, you and me, you, know, you have the same intelligence I do. But your form, so your form and your nature is different except for the fact that it's composed not just of kind of a, a, the, the 
spiritual kind of like the essence of who you are as a human being but you are also composed with matter your body's not my body even though your humanity is my humanity that's kind of cool to think your humanity is my humanity because we share in the exact same limitation the only unique thing about you and me is that not only are we limited by the form or the nature or the essence of being a human but we're also limited by the particular matter in which our, our humanity exists i am mean not you even though we're both humans so take that for what it is there we're getting closer to the end here we're getting closer to the end i want to highlight some implications of this this is pretty much at the end here and these are really neat we are all connected we are all connected in being this is the first implication i really really want to highlight we are all connected in being you know the whole world shares existence in different degrees in different ways in different qualities but some of these qualities are universal that is to say transcendental we all are part of a you know family is not the right word because it has a kind of different connotation but we're all part of the common existence uh, my being makes up a part of all of existence even though i'm not the pure act of being uh, though i make up the full realm of existence so that's the first implication isn't that just neat we are all connected i am connected by sharing this being secondly it clarifies the basis of our relationship with god there's certainly more to it but it clarifies the basis of our relationship with god who is the pure act of being i am who am i is who i is i is who is i am all being you know, you know, a bazillion different ways you could probably phrase that. It's kind of hard to get at that. But I am who am. And we share in that. I, Sean O'Brien, am me. That which is. Sean O'Brien is that which is Sean O'Brien, you know? <laughs> so uh, I am a being. And I share in this relationship with God because I share in some qualities of Him. The unity, the activity, the intelligibility, the goodness, but then other things as well. There's more to it as well, which is kind of neat. Um, so we have this relationship with God. We have this dependent relationship with God. We share in the qualities of God, even though the qualities are to be purely found inside of us as well. They are proper to who we are. So that's a basis of our relationship with God. Uh, thirdly, we kind of get an insight of the greatness of the dignity of spirit over matter. Spirit does not have the limitation of body. Therefore, it's more, excuse me, I guess maybe it's more unlimited. You can't, I don't know if you can be more unlimited because if you don't have limits, that's the only way you can be unlimited. And angels do have limits, but their, their limits are not physical. Their limits are in accordance with their essence, their nature, their form, which is kind of unique. If they don't have bodies to separate from each other, and doesn't that just leave them with pure sameness? But if they were just pure sameness, then wouldn't they 
be the same species? Wouldn't be they be the same? <laughs> all species be the same angel itself? So Thomas Aquinas will highlight the fact that hey, guess what? All angels they have their own unique form, their unique nature, their unique essence. If they did not then they would be the one and the same. But if there were going to be multiple things of the one and the same, they would have to have bodies. They don't have bodies, therefore they can't be one and the same, therefore they must be different of body, excuse me, of essence, nature, form, whatever you want to call it. But they have less limitations than we humans do. So they're greater. So there's a hierarchy. We learn a hierarchy of things. Okay, very good. Pretty good, very good, very good. Trying to think here if I need to add anything else. Um, I don't think so. I think we kind of got it all here. But there's just a lot, a lot of... It's super abstract. I hope I did a good job of explaining it. Uh, next time, it'll be much more fun. I think the next round will be one on causes. And uh, it'll be kind of cool. We can use some pretty practical examples and see how it makes a, an impact on our theological understanding of the universe. And philosophical understanding of the universe. And after that, we'll be primed to look at some of these arguments for the existence of God. Like I mentioned in this episode, you might already be intuiting some of these, um, at least one basic one. If everything has a cause, well, there must be something that caused, it has no cause. Otherwise, it's just kind of an endless series of causes. But anyways, we're going to get into that later on. So peace be with you. Share this with a friend if you find it to be helpful. Hopefully this did not just overwhelm you. Tune in next time for a more simple round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. May God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah.